welcome to the Friday Nightmares podcast. Recording, actually, not in his basement this time, but upstairs, <laughs> is your host, Scott. And recording from luscious, beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, is Heather Powell. I guess recording from my, I don't know, dining room, I guess you could say. None of my house is really horror-related. I have a little horror corner in the uh, in the corner of my basement but for me to record by that I would basically have to like cuddle up to my bookcase which I don't really have any interest in doing anytime right. soon so so yeah here we are again week uh four of COVID yeah and uh people have probably already noticed that we've been a bit uh bored so we've been releasing a lot of extra episodes lately <laughs> yeah well i think we've been doing a lot of podcasting in general i think everyone has i think this is a time when most podcasters are you know it gives you an opportunity to get caught up on films that maybe you haven't had a chance to watch before um i don't know stuff like that it's actually it's i kind of feel like i'm becoming accustomed to um the current circumstance that we're in, I refuse to say the new reality. I will not say it because I, I don't think that we live in the matrix and it's always going to be like this. No. Um, but I do, you know, I think you're just becoming more accustomed. Like I went to the liquor store yesterday. I feel like every podcast I talk about how I drink, but um, <laughs> you know, yeah, be who you are. Um, right, exactly. But uh, I was in line and it was a big deal because today's Good Friday here in Canada and everything shuts down on Good Friday. Um, it's considered a statutory holiday. So really gas stations, convenience stores, food places are the only things that are open. And right now they're just doing takeout and delivery. Um, so there was a big long line yesterday and I've, it felt like Armageddon. Like we're all lined up beside the liquor store, you know? Um, right, all with their, uh, was it social distancing going on as yeah. well? Yeah, oh yeah, people were really good about that. You know, Canadians are though. Like it's, you know, I find Canadians are like over the top with following the rules sometimes. Um, of course, I'm speaking generally. I'm sure there's people out there who would say that's not the case. Um, but yeah, it was fine. I just have a high, hard time following the arrows in the liquor store. Like the arrows tell you to walk a certain way and yeah, I get we, confused and I always cut around. So yeah. Yeah, we started getting uh, like one way set up in uh, like our Kroger and our Myers and stuff like that. They have like little things are saying this aisle only go this way and so that way there's not people crossing each other and it's trying to just a way to kind of keep that social distancing a little bit better yeah i don't follow it though i'm so bad like i have fucking no idea what i'm doing like half the time i just wander around hoping for the best right and um <laughs> you know a story in my life like if there was a real zombie apocalypse i'd probably be dead like i'd be one of the first people like if it was dawn of the dead you know the remake yeah. and like the chick comes home or she's home yeah she comes home from being a nurse and then that little girl comes into the room and her husband gets bit. Yep. Spoiler alert for anyone. Well, it happens in the first like two minutes of the movie. But anyway, that would be me. I'd be the husband. Like <laughs> I would totally be one of the first people turned. And then I turn all the other motherfuckers into, into zombies. So, you know, it's just how it is. So I'm, I'm doing my best. I am, but I'm not so good at following the rules. Right. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty much there with you, though, with the whole uh, just kind of just getting accustomed to this style right now of just living like i pretty much go to work i come home and like maybe we'll hit up like one of the essential stores like a grocery store or something like that when i need something and then yeah come home and just watch movies or and go on long walks i don't go anywhere else don't meet with anybody and like pretty much i just live with my roommate and it's kind of sad because my roommate reached over one day and just tapped me on the shoulder and he goes 
ah, ah, human interaction. That felt nice. <laughs> so it's getting pretty sad that we, especially people like me, who's a hugger, can't really do any of that. You want to show me on the doll where he touched you, Scott? Is there some, something that you're trying to communicate through this conversation? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, I mean. <laughs> hey, isolation does lots of things, huh? It um, does. It makes you very lonely. I'm just kidding. But it's true, though. We've been, we've been really restricted of what kind of interaction. And because you guys live in the same house and stuff, obviously, you can be more interactive with each other. So that's good but for a lot of people think imagine living by yourself right now you know oh, i feel I for people insane. that are doing are living by themselves right now that must be very difficult yeah yeah because i would probably go absolutely insane and oh, or use podcast all the time all day yeah all like yeah i was gonna say like like kind of like what we're doing now like <laughs> just think now yeah i was like what what did we do like four or five podcasts in a row like last week into this week and then gonna be recording like a couple more days in a row here and yeah, good times, good times. And we're on episode five. Yep, five of our episode. main show, and we have two bonus episodes. <laughs> um, so look at us go, episode five. So I guess we should jump back into the movies we've been watching. I really want to take the first one, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so we watched The Turning. Boy, what? did we. <laughs> what a disappointment. Um, not, not a good film. You know, I, I think it was, it was filmed very well. It was very beautiful. It was great, but like the it was like a cheaply made haunted house. Like, oh, it so was. All the scares in this movie were just like it was like. I remember I listened to Fresh Cuts, right? And I'm I'm an avid fan of Fresh Cuts, and they went over the turning, and they were like, "Yeah, there's a lot of jump scares," and I'm like, "Well, yeah, it's a ghost story. That makes sense." But literally, like every two seconds was a jump scare, and it got to the like they were ridiculous jump scares. Oh, they so were, and none of them were well earned. No, and there was one, and this is a spoiler in case anyone hasn't seen the movie. It, there's a mannequin that <laughs> its head turns. <laughs> like, it is so, it's so ridiculous. Like, it's, it's not even like how it was done in The Boy that was, like, creepy and kind of built up to it. Like, there was no build up to this, and then you never saw the mannequin again. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was almost, like, no point to it. There's no point, and it was just, it was... Um, I know Venom and Mike liked the main character, the main female in it. I did not enjoy her. I found her, and it's something as the actress. I'm sure she was just doing her job of playing the character. But right. I found the character quite annoying. The kids were the only saving grace for me. Yeah, um, especially Finn Wolfhard. That, yeah, that like, guy, did a, he did such a good job. And it's funny, because when I listened to Mike and, and, um, and Venom, I was like, oh, yeah, this kid sounds like he's a super big brat. But, like, throughout the movie, I'm like, man, I feel this kid. Like, this woman's, like she's weird like this nanny yeah. is weird and like i would be also thrown off by her too but some like like when you're sitting there and i jump a lot through jump through movies um you know i i definitely am somebody who the jump scare was created for and watching this film with some of these jump scares like it literally looked like a rinky dink haunted house that you would walk through and yeah. like someone would like dress up and be like Ooga, booga, booga. And, you'd be like, ah! and then walking through like that's what this movie reminded me of it was just and it was so boring and it was so hard to get to the end of it and the ending made no sense like i got that they were going for this artistic ending and you know you figure out what the, what's real and what's not real and i just i don't know i called it i called it back in january when i said there's gonna be a twist yep you sure I, did um, our, i think it was on our very first episode yeah and anyway, I'm done. I'll let you talk about the turning. It just disappointed me so much. Like, I, I didn't have super high expectations, but man, was it like, I don't know, between that and The Grudge with ghost movies this year, like, 
been so dreadful. Like I did. Yeah. I don't know. I hope. I hope. I hope something else comes up this year. If that Fear Street movie ever comes out, I don't know. I don't know if any movies will come out this year. But if they do, I yeah, hope at least any the, any into the big theaters. I mean, we'll still get the VOD stuff. Yeah. But. Yeah. But on, um, yeah, I'm pretty much right there with you with this. Like, I went in ex- having just like, okay, this will probably just be an okay film. Like, I didn't expect it to be amazing or bad. And yeah, it seemed to drag on. Not much really happened. And it just, the scares were not effective. Like, I don't think I jumped once in this film. And like you, like, I can, I don't startle easily, but there are like, some jump scares get me. Now, when I startle easily, I startle easily over loud noises. Yeah. Like, and for me to not jump once is a very, very bad sign. <laughs> right, exactly. That was trying to be full of jump scares didn't work. Um, but yeah, this yeah. this was just like, I, I wasn't disappointed because like I said, I didn't really expect much anyways. But at the same time, I was just like, yeah, it's a movie. I mean, it's there (laughs) you know and what i would suggest watching instead and i know um we're going a little bit out of order from what we were planning but that's just how we roll is haunters the art of the scare i would recommend watching that documentary on shutter from 2015 i'm sorry 2017 is what we have on here and as opposed to the turning (laughs) oh well i'll say because the turning pretty much made you want to like watch that because you're like well this is a haunted house movies like or this is like a haunted house so (laughs) And I, I love haunted houses. I've so been to a couple in Ontario. We have a couple of big ones. So I've been to Fear Farm, which is out in Kitchener, Ontario. And they have about four different main mazes. So one is a circus clown thing. Uh, another one is through fields. Another one is a hayride. Another one is through this like pretty creepy house. Like I was walking through this this horror house and my girlfriend was behind me. And I guess this guy with a chainsaw came behind her, but was quiet, so, silent. And then like she moved so he could come up behind me. And I turned around to say something to her. And there was this dude like with a chainsaw in my face. So nice. of course it like startled me. But like, because I jumped so much, I think these actors think, oh, she's going to be scared. Right. But like, right. I know they're in a costume. Like, I know that they're not actually going to chainsaw me. So I, I react and I'm like, ah! and then I'm like, ha, ah, that's a good one. And then they try to follow me to creep me out. And they just end up following me through the haunted house and I don't react and they eventually give up and they go somewhere else because they're like, oh, well. But, um, and then I went to last year, I went to one out in Niagara Falls and that was very good as well. Um, also, multiple mazes, one of the best hayride mazes I have ever been on. I will have to actually just look up the name. It escaped me right now, but I'm going to look it up. Have Which ones have you been to, Scott, while I Google this and try to figure out the name of the one? Um, okay, so yeah, the one that I went to was uh, in Flint, and it was called Exit 13. Oh. And it was, uh, you know, just pretty much a walk through a haunted house, be done. It was, there's, there was no extra stuff to it. It was just like one, uh, one haunt. And... Uh, yeah, that one had some pretty cool moments. Uh, I, one of the things for me is, like, I don't scare easily like like that. Mm. So, like, when I'm walking into those rooms, I'm one of those type that they probably hate that's just kind of like, oh, look at all this cool stuff. And I'm looking at all the details of everything that's been put together. Oh, my God, that is so something you would do. And then I'd, like, look over and see, like, one of the characters hiding in the darkness. I'd be like, i just look over and wave at him and then just keep walking. <laughs> that's awesome. I, 
and but no there was like certain uh there was one room in there that really dis uh disoriented me where i was like it's like you're walking across this like metal bridge and there's like these uh spinning like colors going all around it oh yeah 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 like a tunnel yeah yes i've and, seen that before Oh, it really disoriented me to the point where I felt like I was off balance and about to fall over because, like, just trying to walk through it just really threw me off, and I thought that was really effective. We've seen that in some of the Haunted Houses movies that have come out. So, yeah, um, Haunt and stuff like that does a really good job of reflecting these uh, set-up haunted houses that occur. The one in Niagara that I um, – so I went to the Fear Farm, which is very good. I would, I would really recommend Fear Farm. They actually go out and compete with their special effects. Um, oh, nice. They have a dragon and stuff that they that they have on display that breathes fire and stuff. Like it's it's pretty good. And when you're on the he- when you're on the hayride, a horseless a horseless headman will uh, ride up beside you. Like it's it's pretty good stuff. But the or, uh, haunted, headless horseman, headless horseman. Thank you. Yeah, just disregard my words. I just slur things together all the time. <laughs> Drinking four o'clock on a Friday. Um, but the haunted haunted manor hayrides and haunted houses is in niagara falls so for all my brothers and sisters that live in the state of new york once borders open again hopefully i don't know maybe this october i would really recommend it so they have seven seven separate haunted house themes and they had everything from slender man to jason Voorhees, to michael myers to freddy krueger and it was all really really well done we were going through this one haunted house and i was with um a group of people that you know probably like halloween but aren't as like into horror movies so i was like super excited like i would see slender man and like freak out the slender man was there and uh i had a selfie with jason that i posted and a selfie with chucky um as well and this chick gets right up in my face in the haunted house one of the characters and she's like i'm gonna fucking slit your throat right and i obviously like i know she's not really gonna slit my throat right Right. but um it was good like she was legit man like it was like she was right into character and stuff and i think she was a little bit more intense with me because i didn't i wasn't reacting right so if you don't react and you don't look scared then their their goal is to try to scare you right? right but the hayride that i went on was probably the best haunted hayride i've ever been on it's so good that you can pay just to do the hayride or you can pay for a package it's about i think it's about 60 or 70 dollars per person for all everything you know if you do all the haunted houses and stuff yeah but if you just want the hayride i think it's like 25 bucks and it is incredible like I, i will i could go on that over and over and over and over again the acting and and you go through camp crystal lake so that's at this like camp resort that they turn into a haunted area during the day or during halloween and it is just incredible incredible like at one point jason jumps onto the wagon out of nowhere oh wow and like everyone's freaking out and i'm like right like like carry him (laughs) on right like it's i'm pretty sure i looked like a psychopath on the uh on the on the hay on the hayride but so that's like i love that stuff so you know watching um the haunters was right up my alley and after watching the turning and me thinking about shitty haunted houses that i had been in i wanted to learn more about the haunters industry and what an interesting documentary i know you watched it as well yeah that was Um, really fascinating and like just there's there's a couple people that that 
uh, run it outside of their house, like outside of their garage and stuff like that. And uh, one dude has a very, very extreme, like torture, torturing theme. Yeah, McKamey Manor. And you've heard of it before. Yeah, I, I don't know how I heard about it, but like it was, I think I might have stumbled across it on Facebook and there was like a YouTube video of it saying like, the most disturbing haunted house you'll ever go into and it was like a like five minute thing of watching people just getting tortured and waterboarded and just this vile stuff and i'm going okay that is way too extreme like i could not do that like what was he saying like he would uh tell his actors that if someone pukes shove the puke back in their mouth to make them puke again and stuff like that i'm like oh that is horrible yeah it was really interesting of course you know this documentary is probably to a a a portion is edited and cut like we edit and cut our episodes so we sound really good um same with these documentaries right they're going right. to edit and cut it so there's some drama to it or whatever but it was just really interesting a lot of the f- people that were in the documentary had partners that either weren't into halloween or horror at all or almost despised it and felt like it was um like a mistress or another you know, entity in their marriage. And I thought that yeah. was really interesting because if you're, that's something that you're that passionate about to have a partner that's not even on board, like that, that's something that you like to do. That must be really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. That would be very, very difficult. Uh, like, especially was it like the three or four months leading up to Halloween when they're getting everything ready and like, they just know that they're not going to see each other very often. And the one's not going to be very supportive of it. And it's, yeah, it's fascinating because I did not, you know, under, understand that or realize that that was like a issue that some of these people that do their own haunts have to deal with. Well, and it's interesting because liking horror movies already, you know, to the amount that you and I do and some other people in our community do, or other people listening to this podcast do, it, it, it's not guaranteed that you're going to meet somebody who likes it to the same level you do. Like there are definitely people out there that have obtained that right. and they meet people. It's like anyone, like people that are into cars or, or motorcycle riding or whatever, right? You always are going to have people that maybe are really interested in something and people that aren't, and you kind of have to walk this fine balance. But it was just very interesting, this one couple. And I really do think it was edited to reflect this. The, the wife was very unsupportive. very very unsupportive and i don't know how much of that was edited to make it look that way or how much was she really that unsupportive because there's a part where she almost threatens to end their marriage over Mm -hmm. and that seemed a little sensationalized to me um but yeah it was it was just very interesting the work and the time and the energy and the industry and trying to up the ante every year and these gore houses that we're looking at anyway instead of watching the turning watch this on shutter um it's it's better (laughs) yep Yeah, because I, I think uh, that used to be on Netflix, and I think uh, it kind of rotated out of Netflix's mm. queue, and then uh, Shutter ended up grabbing it and putting it on there. But yeah, it is a very fascinating documentary, and man, some of those haunted houses I'm looking at going, well, I will not do that because that's too extreme, but then there's others where, what was the one they were talking about where it was uh, an interactive haunted house yes. where it had a storyline and everything? I'm like, okay, that's pretty freaking cool. Like, I'm not okay with someone pretending to torture me. Like, no. I'm not okay with that. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to be locked in a freezer or put in a coffin or be pushed underwater. 
and stuff like that. I, I, to me, that's not entertainment. And I understand for some people that are, and Hey, you know what? Rock on man. If that's what you want to do. Awesome. Yeah. All the power to you. It's just not something that, um, I feel comfortable with. Right? No, absolutely not. Like I could not handle that. Like I probably would have a heart attack if they did that for too long to me. Oh, you would have an anxiety attack. Oh, absolutely. Right. I think I would too. I think a lot of people would. And even the people that consented to go through it. And then afterwards they were sharing about how much stress it caused them, how scared they were. Um, Yeah. Some people were like scarred. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's interesting, right? Why you do that to yourself. But I guess it's the same reason you go on roller coasters or bungee jump or whatever, right? The thrill of the rush. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, that, yep. I highly recommend that documentary. It, It was really, really good. Um, yeah, I guess I can uh, jump into one of our other 2020 watches that you and I decided uh, to check out last week. <sighs> Hunter's Moon. Uh, this one stars uh, Thomas Jane, which I didn't even recognize him at first, but he ends up being the uh, sheriff. And wow, his acting was mm, rough in this movie. But this movie is pretty much about a uh, family that moves to a new house and there tends to be like a serial killer and something else going on in the town. But then there's also happens to be werewolf attacks. And I'm like, okay, this, this could be pretty cool. Cause you know, if it's done right, this is going to be a cool werewolf movie. Well, it wasn't done right. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting, this movie toted the line of, it could be like a, a well done soft core porn at times like i felt yeah. like that's where it was going well i mean you and i pretty much made up a whole new porn like while watching it like well, with that storyline and everything <laughs> it was so bad and the acting was definitely um challenging there were some people that you can tell probably had more acting chops than others yeah but the writing was was not good um no i will say that they tried to move the plot along the pacing was fine Yep, the pacing is good. Um, the story was very predictable. Yeah, it was it was easy to call out the story, and the special effects made sense for the budget that they had. Yeah, I'll, I actually will say the werewolf, werewolf that they show actually looked pretty dang good. Yeah, like that. You know, they used their budget well. I just, I, you know, it's not worth. Uh, we didn't have to pay for it, but I would definitely not recommend uh, dropping six ninety nine on it. I don't no. think that you're going to walk away from that and go, "Wow, what a good use of six ninety nine." Uh, unless you're like a huge werewolf fan, then maybe. But even then, I'm like this. You, you, if you're a huge werewolf fan, you've seen a lot of better films, I'm sure. Or you really like cute little blonde things, then I think you'll enjoy <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> Very good-looking young ladies and a couple of good-looking young men in this movie. So if you enjoy looking at some really beautiful people, I think you may enjoy it as well. Um, I don't even think it's that good of a werewolf movie, to be honest with you. Like, no. I don't even think if you – I think if you liked werewolf movies and you watch this, you'd be like, is this like a porn parody werewolf movie? Like, it's, it's just not – that great of a film i think it's a good film yet again if you're a a novice filmmaker and you want to see what you could be working with actors wise script wise um special effects wise yet again it's probably worth the watch but i don't i personally don't think it's even a good werewolf movie no it's definitely on the lower rung for me of like werewolf films like i mean it just wasn't that interesting 
Like it didn't hold my attention, even when it was paced well. It just did not hold my attention. I hear you. I hear you. So the next one that was good was Underwater. Yes. This what one. A fabulous movie. Yeah, this one had me on the edge of my seat, like almost the whole entire time. And my, like, I could feel my anxiety rising because, like, I'm just picturing myself in that situation. And dear God. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. You know, I'm sad I missed it in the theaters and I just watched it at home. I think this is something that would definitely have been a very good theater watch. Oh, um, yeah. I don't think it's going to fall in my own personal top 10 this year, but it's definitely, I definitely enjoyed it. It wasn't slow. It moved quickly. The, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Christian Stewart, I think, or Kristen, Christian Stewart? Uh, Kristen. Kristen Stewart. She's okay. No, she's okay. Like, yeah. she's not, you know, I... I, I got through half of the Twilight films before I couldn't take them anymore. Um, more than I did. <laughs> or, oh, oh, more than you didn't even watch them? No, I think I caught like 10 minutes of one from someone at someone's house. And I was like, ah, I'm a good. <laughs> I just remember the first one with her and, her and Robert Patterson. It was so, the love story was just vomit worthy. Oh, but, it um, was. Anyway, but she's much better here. Uh, she plays basically herself which is like no expression throughout the entire thing. Right. Um, but the other actors are good. Like there, there's a good comedic relief in there too. Yeah. I think that was uh, TJ Miller. Yeah. TJ Miller. He's good. Uh, it, the rest of them are, are decent, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a fast moving plot. It's beautifully filmed. It's really cool how they did the CGI that's in it. Um, yeah. Definitely. They used the money wisely and it shows it's, out of all the movies we've talked about so far, it's the only one I would recommend um, giving a watch to and paying for. Like, I think it's worth it. Yeah, and this uh, this was, like, right up my alley because this was – this had Lovecraft written all over it. And, you know, my, lo my love of Lovecraft. And, yeah, these creatures were very reminiscent of that. And then, like, the last 10 minutes, like, there is something that, yeah, a Lovecraft fan would just – go apeshit over i'm not even gonna say what it is but yeah it was freaking cool yeah it was cool and i'm not a big love cat craft fan at all but i enjoyed what you're referring to like it's a good movie give it a watch yeah absolutely like it i think it's like in my top 10 right now but it may eventually get pushed out because you know the year is still young and that doesn't mean it's not a good movie, right? No. Like just because it, you know, already there's 34 to, uh, 2020 movies that we watch. So like, you know, it that's pretty hard to have a top 10. So if you're like sitting at number 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, that doesn't mean it's a bad film. Oh no. It, it's definitely, it just means we've seen a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. That's all that would mean. So I agree. I think this movie's very well done. Another one that was uh, fairly well done. Uh, this was an indie film, uh, The Dare. Yeah. Yeah, we watched this one together. Like all these ones that we're talking about so far, we've all watched we've watched together, uh, through Skype or whatever. But yeah, the dare uh was kind of reminded me of uh an old like uh almost like a nod to saw films in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots of violence, a lot of uh torturing of people, but it's pretty much about a story of this this guy wakes up or this guy gets knocked out at his house and wakes up and he's chained to a wall with a couple other people. And there's this uh, masked killer that's just pretty much watching them and comes down and torments them every, like probably what I like once every day or something like that. Yeah. That's what it seems like they, you don't really get an idea of how long they've been captured for. Yeah. Um, but it seems like they're getting 
tortured on the on the reg on the regular yeah, right <laughs> and yeah and then the, then the story will you know unfolds and they're like it ties a lot of things together and you're going oh this makes a lot more sense now too and like yeah i just uh richard brake is in it he plays the uh father of this kid mm-hmm. and man the scenes with him and that child are just uncomfortable wasn't he also in come to daddy uh richard brick uh no that I, wasn't I richard brick no i don't remember who that was uh richard okay. brick was uh in three from hell he was in 31 as uh doomhead the main killer clown in 31 uh he was also uh the uh the Night King in Game of Thrones for one season, I believe. Yes, you're right. That was Stephen McHattie that I'm thinking of that was in Come to Daddy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which also, great movie. Yes, absolutely. Good movie as well. But uh, yeah, I I highly recommend renting this one. Uh, I think I think it was on Amazon Prime to be rent to rent for yep. whatever, like $3.99. And you can find it at Google Play in Canada. Yep. Yeah, because I, I haven't used Google Play yet. I haven't had a need to at the moment but I'm sure that'll come at some point. Yeah, right. Well, if you can't find it on Prime, maybe. Um, but Google Play's where I tend to find a lot of stuff because our Prime isn't the same. Right. Uh, so, but yeah, I've, I've been able to find uh, The Dare and another movie that, we've, that we're going to talk about on Google Play. Yeah, and speaking of that movie, you want to go ahead and talk yeah, about it? Yeah, the one that I thought was really cool, and I brought it up on, oh my God, we've been on so many podcasts, No More Room in Hell, uh, is A Perfect Host. And A Perfect Host... It, really plays off the whole Airbnb craze right now. Yeah. So I have stayed at an Airbnb before. I actually found a, a really enjoyable experience. Uh, the Airbnb was beautiful. Uh, it wasn't creepy. Uh, we stayed with a group of people. So it was, you know, I think there was four of us that stayed in the Airbnb. So it was, I guess, kind of similar to this movie, actually. But yeah, we, we never saw the host or anything like that. Um, and in this, in this film, it's uh, definitely an Airbnb trip gone wrong. Very, very much low budget. But wow, like if this was a film that a bunch of, you know, film students had to do in college, this is how you do it. Yeah. Uh, don't pick something that's over the top complicated to do that's going to require a lot of special effects. You know, re- take something that involves character development something that's uh, applicable for the average audience to understand and i think that's why when hostel came out in hostel 2 it came out at a time where like the backpacking craze right where everyone and their mom and their cousin and their friend wanted to go backpacking across europe australia like i don't know people still do this and to me it blows my mind like you know what yeah. sounds like the most unfun thing in the world is to go to a hostel and sleep on a bed with like a bunch of other people around you that sounds like torture, torture. <laughs> um, I work with a young lady who I say young lady because I'm like you know super old at 30 I'm gonna be 37 next week but anyway she's like she's in her 20s early 20s so she's a baby and um, she thinks it's the coolest thing ever and like oh Heather you meet so many new people and I'm like no no none of this sounds fun this sounds sounds like a lot of work like if I'm gonna go tour Europe I want to go on a tour that I pay for that the bus takes me from place to place to place and I sleep in hotels right you know? and if that makes me sound like privileged well I'm privileged so that, <laughs> that's how it is uh, but I thought those were smart those were smart movies you know they they capitalized on how hostels were the big thing at the time and people backpacking and I just feel like a perfect host is doing the same thing with Airbnbs and yeah you know, capitalizing on what could happen. And I think that's really cool. 
Yep. Uh, the only complaint I would have about a perfect host is that third act where yeah. uh, it just went on for too long and the character decisions were mm-hmm. very dumb. Mm-hmm. That brought it down like a full point for me when I was giving my rating. But like it's yeah. still worth renting because I, I, it's definitely a very good, well-made film for its budget and everything. And it has some very awkward, uncomfortable scenes because of that host and like it's just very bizarre but yeah like that third act is the only thing that i would i would have like had done differently and the acting solid to be honest yeah. with you i really enjoyed the acting in this movie i thought it was actually very good you know for like obviously a lot of these people this is probably one of their first films like i looked them up and i couldn't find them in a lot of other stuff so right. you know they've did pretty good like yet again i think this is a perfect example you pick a concept that's relatable you pick something that doesn't require too much budget for special effects and you let the story move quickly like i think this is only an hour and 20 minutes long too like it wasn't a long movie no i, I think it might even be thinking it might have been like, even shorter than that yeah, like an hour and might, 10 maybe yeah i think it was like an hour and 10 yeah it was nice easy brisk watch and that is that's huge. That makes a huge difference. Actually, I can look it up right now and just see what the timing is. The running time for this movie was 76 minutes. Yeah, so, yeah, pretty about, yeah, an hour and 15. An hour and, six, an hour and 15, 16 minutes. So, you know, that's smart. That's smart when it's your low-budget film. Uh, the ratings on Letterboxd seem to be pretty good for it, and I would definitely, uh, I agree with you. I'd recommend checking it out. Yep, definitely worth the rental. Absolutely. Uh, and then, yeah, I'll bring up uh, one of the older films that I watched that a lot of people have talked about this one, and I finally sat my ass down to watch it, and that is Grave Encounters, which was a Canadian horror film, Woo! and I think it was uh, filmed in BC in an asylum. Oh, nice. And But yeah, it's pretty much about a, it's a found footage movie, and it's basically about these people that are ghost hunters like Mm -hmm. doing a ghost hunter style tv show and their tv show is called grave encounters and they go on i think this is like their fifth or sixth episode and they go to this haunted asylum for the episode and then they never return so they and they just find this video footage and you know show you that and man this movie was freaking creepy like it got under my skin like it was I'm not a huge found footage fan, but man, the way they did the found footage in this really worked. And what year was it? It was uh, 2011. It's funny because we watched one from this year called Camp Cold Brook that kind of tried to do the same thing. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like, it sounds like the movie you watched delivered better than what we watched. Yeah, this one would, I think this one will get under your skin when you watch it because my Mm. God, like it's really freaking creepy. The effects in it are really well done and yeah the performances are all really good and it's more violent than i expected it to be too but good good yeah this one high 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 recommend i ended up uh i'm trying to remember where i ended up watching this um oh it was on uh 2b tv 2b oh good old 2b yeah and yeah i recommend this movie i can see why a lot of people had talked about it because my god this one was super effective nice i'll have to check it out it sounds like uh 
you're singing his praises pretty good so yeah i gave it a 10 out of 10 when i reviewed it so <laughs> like I, I was blown away that's awesome um so i listened to the exploding heads uh top 100 of the decade and i took that opportunity to uh write down movies i'd never seen nice got that uh got talked about and one of them was or two of them was the vhs series uh oh yeah i think the first two i don't think they talked about the the most the third oh, they brought it up but they said it better not be on this list because yeah viral was not very good <laughs> uh, okay okay so i could only find two um i did try to find the first one and i still haven't been successful in that and so just on the theme of found footage because you brought up found footage yeah i really enjoyed it shit it's a good movie and it's and it and it's a darker anthology compared to some of like even and we know how much i like nightmare cinema last year yeah and oh man vhs is way better than nightmare cinema i did enjoy the one story nightmare cinema the most simply because of the own personal touch that it gave for me right um but man and it's not found footage right like it's more you know performance and acting and like not a found footage movie but for vhs man like too like those found footages they're creepy yeah, like I, I think especially in part two, I think it, every single story is really good. Yeah, like there isn't one just there isn't one story where it's just like oh this is okay or just bad. No, they're all really good in that in that one. And and even the zombie one, it's a little more comical to be honest with you than oh, it is, the other ones I are. But one. it's still creepy, and they still go places where I'm like oh they went there. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, no holes bars, and then the effects of watching VHS, you know, the effects yeah. of watching the video on you, I think is uh, shown really well. So I look forward to finding the first one somewhere and, uh, and watching it. Yeah. What would, you, uh, what would you say is your favorite story out of those? Uh, the zombie VHS? one. The zombie one's your favorite? Yeah, I, I really thought that was really creative. Nice. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's uh, tied between the zombie one and that cult one. Yeah, the cult one's pretty cool too. That one very had dark. some really creepy movie uh, moments to it. Yeah, very dark. Uh, yeah. Very, very dark. And I think I had a hard time with some of the scenes in that one. Um, just being, you know, for my my own my own comfort level. Right. Um, but you know, that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It just meant that it made me uncomfortable a little bit. And there's certain lines I find in horror that is that is very difficult for me. Um, when it when I see it, I can usually sit through it, but sometimes it just doesn't sit with me, and I I prefer to go back to something else that I enjoyed a little bit more. Right. And the zombie one, I just like the comedy and the and the you know yet again they went places that I didn't think they were going to go, but it was to me it was more funny. Yeah, and I really love the way that they uh, use the GoPro as the yeah, way that's what I'm talking it. about, and I love when movies do that. You know, that's what I liked about the Perfect Toast is like you tie in current technology current happening events in a way that makes it clever yeah you know that's fun yeah because that, that's a good way to do the found footage style for these vhs uh segments absolutely absolutely yeah and um another one that i will bring up uh i ended up watching would you rather yeah you were saying really good things about this yeah i had a lot of fun with this one it's pretty much about uh the main girl, she is taking care of her brother who, I forget what type of disease he, he has, but like she's basically having to like take care of him for the rest of his life. And mm -hmm. like, you know, the medical expenses are piling up. And like, I thought he had cancer. It might have been cancer. Okay. But yeah, like all the medical expenses were uh, piling up and yeah, she's just, you know, struggling to like keep things afloat. And then she gets this offer from a 
a very rich person who is played by Jeffrey Combs mm-hmm. and uh, basically just says, hey, come to my party. Uh, we, we play this game and the winner of this game gets everything taken care of for the rest of their life. You won't have to worry. Your medical bills will be paid for your brother, this and that. And she gets there and, you know, it's kind of awkward interactions. And then you find out that, yeah, they're one to the, uh, Jeffrey Combs, the character wants to play. Would you rather? And well, the game of would you rather is not very nice. And you have like 15 seconds to decide on, would you do this or would you do that? And it's usually like, would you do this to this character or would you do this to this character? Mm. decide in 15 seconds and you can't back out you have to make a decision if you back out well bad things happen to you oh yeah that makes sense right there has to be some kind of you know if you if you don't do it you're going to be punished for not doing it kind of thing yeah and man some of the things that they are forced to deal with like in their decisions like oh it is intense and like it's one of those where you question yourself going what would I do in that situation? Well, you know, if you're Canadian, you don't have to worry about it because your health care is covered. <laughs> well, <laughs> I never, I'm just kidding. Well, not really. True. Well, it's true. She never would be there because <laughs> it's true, though, though, though Ricky from Trailer Park Boys was one of the characters in it. Oh, was he really? Oh, <laughs> yep. man. Oh, you sold me. Now I got to go watch that right now. I'm going to stop this podcast and support my my brother from the Trailer Park Boys. That's a great. That's a great series. But you really have to like that sense of humor, dude. Oh, you do to enjoy it, right? Um, well, I'll definitely check it out. You sold me. It sounds really entertaining. It sounds like, uh, um, though I don't. I'm not a big fan of torture stuff. Like as we've talked about with Saw, respect the movies. I just I they're not my my go to. Yeah, and I wouldn't even say this is like. I mean, obviously he's torturing these people, but it's not like you know torture torture. It's just you're getting tormented because you, you're having to make this decision on what you're going to do. Makes sense. Makes sense. I, uh, I watched the girl on the third floor, uh, which is oh, a yeah. very controversial movie. It seems in our uh, horror community, because people either seem to love it or hate it. I don't like CM Punk. I don't like him as a wrestler. I respect what he's done for the industry, but I have never enjoyed him. I, I find him egotistic and narcissistic and I, which most wrestlers are, I guess you could argue, but for him, it's, it's really over the top for me. He was fine in this movie. I, you know, even though I'm not a big fan of him, I think he acted fine in this movie. I think he played his character. Well, it was okay. You know, I, I, I wouldn't say, Oh, it was horrible and big piece of crap. I don't say that about movies usually too much anyway, Right. Uh, but it, would I watch it a second time? Probably not. It was a, it was a decent little ghost story. I think Sam Pump does have some potential if he stays in horror. Like he, he's never going to be a huge mainstay actor. But if I look at other wrestlers that have made the leap, like <laughs> The Rock in the Fast and Furious films or John Cena, Hulk Hogan, I, you know, I, I would put him either on par or maybe a little bit above their acting ability. Definitely better than Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it comes to acting when it comes to acting. So. Eh. Yeah, like, yet again, I can see, like, I don't think it's a masterpiece by any stance, but it wasn't horrible. It was a very uh, basic bitch ghost story. Okay. Yeah, because I've he- heard mixed things about it, like you were talking about, and I wasn't even sure if it was considered horror or not, so I just never had bothered well, that's horror. It. I don't know why someone would not consider it horror. 
Okay. Like it's, I, I would be very confused if someone said that wasn't a horror movie. Yeah, maybe that was just something I kind of had in my head thinking it wasn't horror for some reason. Yeah, it's it's definitely horror. Um, I don't I I don't think you could put it in any other cast category. Is it a really well done horror? You know, that might be another. You know, my dog just absolutely yawned at the same time that I did that facial expression. So I find that really <laughs> funny. Well, no one can see my face right now, but um, anyway, it uh, it's okay. You know, I would say to you if you got nothing else to throw on one day, like at work, you could probably throw it on and not be distracted. Um, right. That heavy of a movie, like you can follow along pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's it. And I guess I'll just mention one more before we move this away from this is I watched Satanic Panic. Satanic oh, yeah. Panic. Um, and that was also a controversial one from last year, I believe. People yeah. had a lot to say about it. Yeah, I know a lot of people either had it in their top tens or just absolutely hated it. Yeah, I can see why people would hate it. I don't know if I would have had it in my top ten. I don't know. I don't know because it's really not – it's horror comedy. Yeah. You know, it's not supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be a play on upper-middle-class society – and some of the conversations between some of the young ladies in it, I thought was pretty funny. Some of the stuff they say to each other. And there's some pretty funny, like, sexual things that are in it as well that I thought oh, yeah. entertaining. Um, you know, as I was saying to you before, it was definitely a basic white bitch movie. And I'm a basic white bitch. <laughs> so this was speaking my language. And I gave it pretty high. I gave it 9.5 out of 10. Yeah, I, for enjoyability. Like I enjoyed it. Would I sit there and say, "Oh, it's a top movie of 2019"? No, but did I enjoy it? Absolutely, I did. Right. Yeah, because I think I gave it about a seven, seven and a half. Like, because I also told you that I went into it not realizing it was going to be a horror comedy. I thought it was going to be more of a serious horror film, mm-hmm. and then I'm just like, "Oh, it's one of these types. This is not what I expected." And I think it kind of let me down that way. But I also think you know i gotta be in the right mood because like i was telling you like my taste for comedy is very weird like i can like very one movie that's very similar with another film and i can love one of them and hate the other for some reason i don't know why but like that's just how it goes like but comedy is also very subjective and some things you don't find funny other people just love yeah, I could see that. And I think with this movie in particular, it it plays a lot like it I don't want to say it's a a female centric movie. In case there's some dudes listening that are like, "Oh, but I really dug it." But I do think it plays a lot from female humor. Yeah. And what females experience and the whole like, you know, virginity thing and there's other shit that they talk about in it. And the cameos were great. There were some really good cameos in this movie. But yeah, knowing it's a horror comedy going into it, and it reminded me a lot of the same humor in things like Adventureland in 2009. Like, yeah. And, and I found that movie really funny. And yeah, I so liked I. that kind of humor. And this really struck for me with a lot of the things that the lady said. And it was, it was fluffy. It was fun. You know, it doesn't take a lot of brain space. The ending was kind of ridiculous. But like, that's mm-hmm. what you expect in that movie. Like, you can't walk into that movie and be like, oh, man, it's going to be a super deep good ending. Like, right. You know, it was it was a solid film. And I would say if you like Adventureland and you like Zombieland and maybe as a female, you really like female centric humor. That's a little sarcastic and tongue in cheek and stupid stuff like that. You'll probably enjoy this. Um, if you don't, then you might not. And that's OK. Yeah, I was saying it's streaming on Shutter now. So it's you know free to check out if you have the subscription to Shutter. 
Yeah, which I think there's a 30 day free thing still going on too, right? Like you can yep. still do that. So yeah, um, which I I will I'll give a plug here, and I think it's uh yeah, and the promotional code is shut in. Oh, perfect, shut in. Okay, so and that's to you know encourage people to stay home. Yep. Right, and I and I lied. There's one more. Oh, okay. I'm just going to sum it up so that you can sum up any ones that you have. Is the Tales of Halloween? Oh, nice. Yeah, it's um. I want to double check the year here. 2015. It's 90 minutes, and man, they fit 10 stories into 90 minutes. Yeah, and I think there's only like one of those stories I thought was just okay, and the rest I really enjoyed. Yeah, like they're quick. Yeah, and it's like uh, it became one of my movies where I watch it like on a yearly rotation around Halloween now. And there was just people that were in it that um, I felt like I recognized from other stuff. Like obviously Lynn Shay is in it and Adam Green is in it. Um, John Landis is in it. Barbara Crampton is in it. Uh, there's a couple of just like big name people. Joy D- Joe Dante is in it. So they yep, have like Stuart a lot Gordon. of, right. They have a lot. Oh, Stuart Gordon's in it as well. Wow. Like they had a lot of actors and, and actresses that were, you know, pretty familiar that was in this movie. And it was, it was fun. Like it yeah. was a fun little, it was a fun little film. I would watch it again on other Halloweens. Like I thought that it moved quickly. And I think for, if I was getting somebody into horror, I would actually show them this. Yeah. I could, yeah. I could uh, definitely see that. Cause yeah, there's a lot of just like fun stories. There's some really creepy stories mm-hmm. and, uh, I think one of my favorites is the, I think it was called uh, the 13th Friday or some, or October 13th or something like that. And it's supposed to be like a ripoff of Jason Voorhees. And mm-hmm. that one just got really ridiculous and silly and violent and then really kind of cute and disturbing at the end at the same time. Oh yeah, that was really funny. I really liked that one. I Trick thought that treat. was really, oh my gosh. I thought it was super cute. And I think that that is something, yeah, again, know your kid, but you could show to a kid as an entrance into the horror movie. None of those stories, except for one with kids, um, was yeah. overly graphic or overly scary, in my opinion. Like, I, yet again, know your kid, yeah. but I think that that wouldn't be a horribly bad in entry to get them to start watching horror movies. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Cause yeah, and they're short little stories, right? So, like, if yeah. the kid doesn't like one story, it's going to move to another one. Right, exactly. And, the, and it goes quickly. The whole movie does. Oh yeah, like it's a it's a very palatable watch. So yeah, that's that's it for me for um what I've been watching and what I was digging. Yeah, I got a bunch more, but yeah, I'll save those for later. Like, is there anything that you want to add now? Um, actually, yeah, I guess I will mention one more. Um, the invitation. Yeah, you saw that. That's right. I remember you talking about it. Yeah, I uh, I know this is Brandon Orlick's one of his all time favorite films now. And so I've been wanting to watch it just because, you know, I wanted to see what it was like. And yeah, this movie was really good. Like it's a bit of a, it's a slow burn. And, but like, yeah, it's definitely got like this cult aspect to it. And when like, you know, each character is just acting a bit strangely and, you know, things start getting more, uh, more layers get pulled back and start to reveal things. And man, by that ending, when the, final scene hits like your jaw just kind of hits the floor you're just like oh shit it was uh freaking amazing like 10 out of 10 for me i love this movie yeah see i started watching it some time ago and i just couldn't get into it yeah and it's not a bad film 
like I would never be like, oh, it's a bad film. No, it's well acted and stuff. I just found it, the pacing was just not there for me. Doesn't mean, right. you know, I couldn't try to watch it at another time. It just could be it when it was in my jam, but it, it just wasn't connecting with me. Yeah, I, and I get that because yeah, it is like one of those very slow films, especially in that beginning, beginning uh, first act. Yeah. And if you're not if you're not hooked in by then, then yeah, it's, you may not like the rest of the movie. And I'll be out to be honest. And I think it's important to acknowledge that that doesn't mean it's a bad film. No. You no, know, that's just uh it just might not be your type of film. And I feel like that's so important <laughs> yeah. to 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 really draw that line is just because I didn't like it doesn't mean it sucks. It just means that it wasn't my jam. Right. Because the same movie sucks completely. Like, if I look back to the turning and how we described it, you know, the jump scares weren't landing. The plot really didn't make a lot of sense. And it it was a drag to sit through. I wouldn't say the invitation's plot didn't make sense. I no. wouldn't say the acting was bad. I wouldn't say any of those things. I just wasn't connecting with the story. That's yeah, exactly. And that, and that makes a lot of sense because, yeah, certain films just connect with other people. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the last one I will bring up. So I guess we can kind of uh, jump into our what we've been listening to segment. Excellent. And I'll I'll go first with this one. I'm going to talk about a podcast called Talk Without Rhythm. It is a solo cast, kind of like uh, Horror Corridor and uh, The Nightclub. And it is the your, your host is El Goro, and I'm going to read his little synopsis that he has for his website. It says. Join El Goro, part-time luchador and full-time cinephile, as he delves into the broad, grassy spades and massed granite farms of cinema. Each episode, El Goro discusses two movies tied together by some kind of theme. Action, sci-fi, horror, highbrow, lowbrow. It's all fair game. Mm, Sounds like fun. Oh, he and he is such an amazing uh, host for a show. Like, he's just got this, like, deep deep voice and he knows his shit like he really knows his films and is freaking smart he has like yeah it's like all genres of films but like the way he does it is very unique very fun listen and you know like we've talked about before with the nightclub solo casting is not easy no and yeah he does it freaking real wonderfully the show is pretty much available everywhere that you can find podcasts. I think even on Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, like any of the podcast apps, Podbean might be on there as well. But yeah, he's been around for quite a while, a couple years or so. And like, I think is over a couple hundred episodes at this point. And one thing I do love is around uh, Halloween, he will do 31 days where every single day he will release an episode for his show. And it is a 15 to 20 minute review on some new horror film that he has not watched yet. And he'll do it all 31 days. So every single day you'll have something to listen to on his show during Halloween. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really impressive. I highly recommend Talk Without Rhythm. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. So the one that I'm going to talk about is one of our podcasting brothers in arms, Android Vision has start, restarted his podcast. So he has a podcast with another gentleman named Sander and it's called the C- Cemetery Gates Podcast. Um, and they, they, so I guess they were doing their podcast uh, pretty regularly and then about a year ago, life changed and they weren't able to. So they're back in the saddle again. 
And the most recent episode is The Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. And they also did The Borrower. And for those that have followed Android Vision or watched his uh, tel- his little like uh, YouTube watch show that he does, as well as he's on not it's not horror okay with Scott and I, as well as Nudie and Venom, he tends to like really interesting films. He definitely <laughs> does. He has a unique taste. He has a very unique taste, and um, him and Sander are great together. You can tell that they're friends and that they've known each other a long time. The podcast is under an hour long, which is very palatable, easy to listen to. And they usually start off with talking about news, what they've been watching. And Android is always watching new and different things. So like, you'll, he'll talk about stuff and they'll be like, what on earth is he talking about? And you'll have to Google it to see what you're talking about. Uh, but they did the, the, the Revenge of the Phantom of the Mall or whatever it was. <laughs> I thought that that was really funny. I, I never even heard of this movie. Apparently, I'm the one... Sorry, Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. Apparently, I'm the one out of date here because other people have heard or seen this movie. And they do a great job of comparing it, breaking it down scene by scene, uh, talking about what they liked in the movie, what they didn't like. And they're just fun dudes, right? They joke around and, and they have a good time. So he is available right now on SoundCloud as well as YouTube. And he's going to be looking to get it onto Spotify and Stitcher and all those other good stuff. So we'll include include a link to his new podcast as well. Yep. And yeah, I definitely want to give it a listen because I, I, I really enjoy Android. And I can only imagine like the show is probably uh, very informative and fun. It is. He's a fun dude. And what I really like about Android is that he marches to the beat of his own drum. He doesn't do like... I enjoy listening to movie reviews, but one of the biggest reasons why I did not want to do movie reviews moving forward on Friday Nightmares is because everybody does them, Yeah, you know, and people do them really well. Like you can listen to Cut to the Chase, Kill the Cast, um, Watsy, The Watsy Party, Exploding Heads, 22 Shots. They all do movie reviews and they do them so well. And that's awesome. And I felt like for us just doing Ruby reviews, we'd just be riding on other people's coattails. I want to do something different because those guys are killing it when it comes to reviews. Like Dan and Lacey right now are going through the entire Leprechaun franchise and having guests on for different different versions, like different uh, sequels or whatever of the Leprechaun movie. And that's awesome. You know, that's really, really cool. And what I like about Android is he's not going to do Leprechaun. He's going to do some ripoff version of Leprechaun that you've never even heard yeah, of, like Rumpelstiltskin or something. Yeah, like that. and and he's going to talk about it and he's going to provide that different perspective. So I think that's really cool, and that's why um, I really want to promo his his podcast. Besides the fact that he's also a good friend, um, but he's he's a very fun dude. And if you're looking for something that you've never heard of before, he's your guy. Nice. Yeah, I can't wait to listen. I'll probably be having. I'll probably have that on over the weekend since I really don't got much else to do except for listen to podcasts <laughs> and watch movies. Right, like that's kind of our lives right now. But yep. it is what it is. And that's why I'm glad that there's all these podcasts, and that's why I'm glad we have this segment to introduce these shows that people may not have heard of to others. Absolutely, and we still name drop a bunch of the other popular podcasts as well too. Yeah, um, because people should know about them. They're great. You know, there's a, like anyone that does a podcast, puts work and time and energy into it, and they should be acknowledged for their craft and what they bring. I think what we try to do is what we've been listening to is just talk about ones that maybe other people haven't heard of. And yeah. just trying to give people who, 
I don't know how to say are underdogs. So I don't think they're underdogs at all. Say you love Satan is not an underdog. By no. Any stance in the imagination, but it's just to kind of just share information about what else is out there because we do have a lot of time on our hands and we all love horror movies and there's nothing better than listening to our brothers and sisters talk about exactly films, right. I guess we can jump into our main topic now. Uh, and to, uh, now the topic for this episode is aliens and government experiments. This is. We are still uh, kind of just diving into creature features because, like we said before, this just continues and continues and continues because there's so much to cover. And we probably have at least one or two more episodes after this that we'll be able to cover some other t- parts of the creature feature genre. Yeah, we just keep going and yeah. going and going into this <laughs> into this topic. So, you know, I, I guess it's convenient that COVID's around right now because we have the time to keep going and going into this topic. Um, but aliens and government experience experiments are always so interesting because you have Area 51 and you have all that, the conspiracy theories that come with it. Are you a conspiracy theorist, believer, Scott? Nope. I do love reading about conspiracy theories just because I love to hear like these crazy out there ideas or even ones that gone wow yeah those i could see why people would think that i i do find them absolutely fascinating that's awesome i i personally am not a a big person to conspiracy theories uh but that being said i do think that maybe there's stuff that we don't know about that obviously exists that obviously yeah. our governments of all levels are keeping from the general public. Like we see how people react when there's a virus, we go out and overbuy toilet paper and drive past us. So like, I can't imagine how people would react if they even thought alien. So when we say alien too, I, I hate that we always go to this, like, you know, creature with a bald head and beady little Maybe. eyes. Like I yeah. always find that annoying. And there's lots of movies that, that break that stereotype. But when we think about quote unquote, you know, life outside of our planet that we're aware of it's always very scary usually with the exception of movies like et and stuff that we'll get into Uh, i don't know et that 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 one still traumatized me as a kid it traumatized me how boring it was like have you tried watching (laughs) et as an adult oh my god it like great i went on that ride at universal studios It's so like it's in a bike, like literally, and you like had ET in your front little like <laughs> bicycle thing, and it takes you through the the forest and stuff. It's cute. Like don't get me wrong, it's cute, but like <laughs> anyway, I feel like ET was a movie that like was big because of the special effects and stuff, and you liked it as a kid because it was cute. But then you like go back and watch it as an adult, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> what is this? Right? Like yeah. there's just some movies like Homeward Bound was one of those for me too. Like I remember loving that movie, and then I went back and watched it, and I was like, oh my god, this is dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I get through this, um, but taste and stuff change. But anyway, so why aliens and why should we be concerned about them coming to Earth, right? So um, Stephen Hawking uh, has repeatedly spoken out about aliens. And in an article that was written by Clara Moskwit uh, for the Christian Scientist Monitor, and, and it was published in April 2010, she quoted Stephen Hawking, and and he talked about that an advanced space-faring extraterrestrial uh, civilization would end up wandering the universe in um, enormous spaceships on the prowl for vital materials after consuming the natural resources of their own world, which is hilarious because that sounds like humans. 
It sure um, does. Right? Hawking's explained in an episode of the show Into the Universe with Stephen Hawking, which premiered on Sunday on Discovery Channel. So this is obviously going back to 2010. Such advanced aliens would perhaps become nomads looking to conquer and colonize whatever planet they could reach. And we have to question, aren't we doing the same thing with you know, going to Mars and going out to try to find places where humans could inhabit and these trips to the moon and stuff like that, right? So, like, at what point are we not fantasizing about doing the same thing if you look at Star Wars or Star Trek? I guess more Star Trek is a better example of living in these spaceships and traveling around the world and space stations and stuff like that that people could, could live at. Um, if so, it makes sense for them to exploit each new planet for material to build more spaceships so they can move on. Who knows what the limits could be? So it's a very interesting statement that he made here because he basically compared aliens to having equal or more intelligence than humans, which, as we know from our previous Creature Feature episodes, humans are very egocentric. Yes, they are. <laughs> And we like to believe that we are the absolutely most intelligent uh, possible, you know, human or, or sources of life that could exist. And this this argument continued more. So in 2011, um, Michael, I didn't write his, oh, George Michael wrote this article about extraterrestrial aliens, skeptics. And he looked at you know, furtherly examining what Stephen Hopkins had to say. So the continuous warning of, you know, the colonization attempts. So almost going back in time and looking at the, uh, the, the um, colonization between European settlers and Native Americans. So almost reversing that role of what we did. I say we because I'm white and I am from Wales. <laughs> <laughs> and... My people came here and colonized. So for anyone yep. that's not considered indigenous or aboriginal in states, we're colonizers. It's just how it is. Um, the role is now changing with the idea that aliens could be coming to our earth to do the same thing. And he talks about Battlefield Earth, which I have actually never seen this movie. Have nope, you seen Battlefield I. Earth? Nope. Okay. I I'm trying to think. I think this is the one with John Travolta in it. Yes. So it talked about how it depicted a hostile and alien invasion of Earth. And the purpose of the offense is to eradicate the human population so that aliens can harvest our planet's resources. Huh. So just a few months before... In just a few months before in the film, Skyline aliens used massive force fields to vacuum humans into their craft, whereupon the space invaders removed their victims' brains. So oh, talk wow. about the most biggest concern that human beings can have is losing our intelligence to another species. Yeah. So not to get too historical here, but if we look at how we basically, you know, as colonizers came to America and Canada and rid the Aboriginal populations or Indigenous people of their cultures. In Canada, we had something called residential schools where we put people that were Aboriginal or Indigenous in these schools to try to rid them of their culture and make them Christian. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, Canada ain't all <laughs> sunshines and rainbows either. But that's what we did when we came here. We took their land. We tried to build partnerships with them. And, and I know people don't like to talk about that part of history, but it happened. Right. So it's interesting now that we are concerned, when I say we, I mean the current population of North America, of that coming and happening to us. 
So of course, film represents society. So there was a little film that came out in 1953. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's called <laughs> War of the Worlds. Nope, I've never heard of this. Never heard of War of the Worlds? <laughs> so War of the Worlds came out in 1953, and the film is a loose adaptation of the novel by the same name by H.D. Wells and the first of five film adaptations. It's the modern retelling of the 1879 novel, changing the setting from Victoria area, England, to 1953 Southern California. The Earth is suddenly and unexpectedly invaded by Martians, and the American scientist Clayton Forrester searches for any weakness that can help stop them. So how, which War of the Worlds are you most familiar with? Um, I'm more familiar with the newer one. I've seen them all, but I also know about the radio play that caused a lot of panic when it played because everyone thought it was real. Absolutely. So I have that album. I shouldn't say I have it. My parents do. And as a young Heather, I would listen to it. And it's, it's a musical based, right? So there's a, there's a song in there that uh, one of the lyrics is, the chances of anything coming from Mars were a million to one, but still they come. Oh, wow. And it's a very, very depressing story. Uh, basically, Earth as we know it being obliterated and, and our resources being harvested and people dying and the idea that we have to go underground to rebuild. Sound familiar? The Underground Railroad. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and now this was prior. Well, I guess actually this would have been around the time of the Underground Railroad when this was written um, in 1897. But the whole concept of, of the invaders coming and we're trying to fight back and there's nothing we can do. So I know that Tom Cruise had the remade movie uh, and that was fine. Like it's not a bad film, but if you actually go back and if you want to listen to the original musical that was aired or watch the original movie or, or read the book, uh, what defeats them is bacteria, which I do believe defeated them as well. The aliens in the Tom Cruise remake. Yep. Right. And what an interesting concept that our guns, our bombs, nothing could defeat them. But bacteria that we had become immune to, that they were not immune to, had destroyed them. And that's the same thing as when you travel, you get certain vaccinations. So if you're going to India, for example, living in Canada or the United States, you're going to get certain vaccinations to go there. Yeah. Because there are diseases and stuff that you are not accustomed to here living in north america yeah and i think it's also the same thing with like drinking the water in certain yep. places too absolutely so if you go to mexico for example uh you can't drink the water i was in dominican republic last year and uh, they make it very clear that you cannot drink the tap water because your system can't handle it so it's a very basic concept but it is playing off that it was the bacteria that did it, not the humans, but we were still superior because we were able to fight off that bacteria yeah. from our home planet, right? So, and this followed up to a bunch of other movies, okay? So we begin to see in the 1950s all this invasion type films. So in 1954, we have something called The Target World. And it is a independently made American black and white science fiction film. And it... It's set in desert Chicago, deserted Chicago, pardon me, deserted Chicago. And the film storyline focuses on a small group of people overlooked during a massive evacuation of the city that never sleeps. 
carried out because of the sudden invasion of hostile robot beings believing to be from the planet Venus. So while attempting to defeat, defend the city, a military force sets up a command post. Air Force bombers are easily destroyed by the robots. Of course, right? Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. A group of scientists, including chief researchers, are finally able to work on capturing a robot to find out if the alien machines have any vulnerability. So still, the humans are able to outsmart the robot. So even though we're getting our our ass kicked, we eventually find a way that we're going to capture them and figure out what's going on. Yep. So eventually they, they figure out how to destroy the robots and they are able to halt the invasion. So this just came out of after 1953's War of the World. So we're definitely seeing a trend that's going on here. And if we go back to other creature features, it's humans becoming victims. And in this case, it's the victim of the alien. We still see this in modern day society. Anything that is different from us is considered alien. So a lot of people use illegal immigrants the same – like you've heard the term aliens. Yep. Right? So it's, it's still a very similar terminology that's being used. So the final 1956 movie that I'm going to use as an example is a Japanese film. Oh, nice. And it's called Warning from Space. Because I think sometimes we get so caught up in like our little North American bubble that we don't think about the fact that other cultures also had this fear. Right. So it was the first Japanese science fiction film to be produced in color. And in the film's plot, starfish-like aliens disguised as humans traveled to Earth to warn of the intimate collision of the rogue planet and Earth. As the planet accelerates towards Earth, a nuclear device is created at the last minute to destroy the approaching world. So what's different about that film? I'm not sure. So... Star-like aliens disguised oh, as humans yeah. to warn of the imminent collision of a rogue planet. Yes, so yeah, the aliens are actually coming to uh, help, help, right? And save the species and save the human race. We have examples of American films where they're coming and they kick ass on English films too. So War of the Worlds, originally that concept was written in England, right? It's at Victorian times. And we eventually find a way to beat them, but not really War of the Worlds bacteria does, but we're immune, so we're superior. Yep, we got to take, take, uh, take the credit for it. Right. Well, I, I don't know if we take the credit for it, but the, the, the point is that we are superior. Um, superior. superior? <laughs> Thank you. I'm like saying Suspiria. Um, then the aliens that have come to our planet. So I think that that is the important thing to look at with the egocentric piece of it. If we look at the Japanese version of it, it's the idea of this commonality, right? So this alien race is coming to help us so we don't end up dying. Now, it could be because they want to harvest our planet in the future or whatever the case may be. But it's very interesting that that's the route that we took. And during the 50s and the 60s, a lot of these films focused on small towns because it was seen as believable. So in Melvin Matthews' book, Hostile Aliens, Hollywood and Today, which has multiple chapters talking about alien invasions, why we're so fascinated in them, and how it affects cinema, he discussed that it was so important to choose these small towns or these believable characters for these invasion films because he cared more. You got invested in it more. You were more concerned about what would happen. And this led to films such as Village of the Dam. Now, have you seen the 1960 version of Village of the Dam? 
Uh, I have not. I've only seen John Carpenter's remake. And what did you think about it? I thought it was a very interesting concept. Like, in, like the remake's okay, like in general. But yeah, I, I, I really found the story intriguing. And just like the way that pretty much the, we are being invaded without actually being invaded, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and, and it ties on that hometown appeal, it can happen anywhere. Yeah. Right? Um, so Village of the Dam, the inhabitants of a British village in Midwich suddenly fall unconscious as does anyone entering the village. The military establishes a corridor around Midwich and sends in a man in, in a gas mask. He too falls unconscious and passed out. So once they are able to go and investigate, they find out that all the women are pregnant. Anyone that is capable of having a baby two months later, they find out are pregnant. So after everyone is woken up after the series of unconsciousness, they are knocked up. And of course, you know, there's issues of infidelity and extramarital affair accusations. And when these children are born, they begin to exhibit powers to read minds and to force people to do things against their will. They have been a number of villagers deaths since the children were born, and many of them are considered unusual. Some of the citizens start to believe that the children are responsible. And this is confirmed when the children are seen as killing a man by making him crash his car into the Cold War. And again, when they force his suspected brother to shoot himself. Now, this is during the time of the Cold War and the fear of Russian spies and how anyone could look like you, but could be a traitor. Mm -hmm. It could be an internal threat, right? So you're, you're, you're focusing on a small town. You're using children. Who is more trusting than children? Yeah. Right? We, we see children as innocent, as, as people that shouldn't be feared. So it's a really interesting development that we have during this time of these films, right? So the idea of the fear of the other, of being controlled by other things, it's very, very fascinating. Do you have any fear of that? Do you think that aliens could come and invade us through mind control or whatever it may be and we would not know? Do you think that's a thing? Uh, I don't know. I believe in aliens, like that there are, there is life outside of just our world because there's billions upon billions of planets out in that galaxy. But yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if there'd be anything that would come in like mind control or anything like that. Okay. I don't know where I stand honestly on the issue. I think that it's, um, I think obviously it's extremely egocentric to think that there is nothing out there that is smarter than us. Yeah. You know, um, do I think it would be like Village of the Dam? I don't know. You know, I also never thought that we would be in the situation that we are today. Right. 2020 with COVID. So like I, you know, I, I think it's interesting that we're covering this right now because COVID technically is the alien that's come and invaded and we're trying to fight against it. And yeah. it's affecting everything from our economy to how we, how we leave the house, uh, who, we, who we communicate with. Like, it's a very interesting And point. how we interact with people now. How we interact with people, how we see the world, and how many times I've heard, like, new reality, you know, things will never be the same again. Like, there's a lot of grief that is going on right now about what we're experiencing. And in these films, there's almost an innocent loss with these extracrustrials coming and changing our world. And in very few cases for the better. In many cases, attacking us, uh, taking away our power, and us as humans having to come back. 
and fight back for what we need. So I think it's a, just a very interesting play. So yeah. in, Mel in Melvin's book, uh, Hostile Aliens, Hollywood in Today's News, the 1950 science fiction films and 9-11. So he talks all the way up to September 11th, which is very fascinating. We'll include the link to this. And I would definitely recommend for anybody who's interested in aliens, conspiracies, and, and how all this stuff comes together in films, you probably would love reading it. He does uh, talk about John Carpenter. Now, I know John Carpenter, Carpenter is your boy. Oh, yeah. Well, my favorite director. <laughs> and John Carpenter in this book discusses the impact the movie The Thing from Another World had on, his, on the development of his movie The Thing. He really credits the 50s with having this belief of aliens outside life, starting with the concerns of flying saucer, saucers in the 1950s and people starting to believe that there could be something out there. So even John Carpenter is saying, you know, I wouldn't have been creating the movies that I created or the thing if it wasn't for people buying into the thought of aliens in the first place. And right. that started in the 50s, right? Um, but what we want to reflect on is the development of the 1982, the thing. So that John Carpenter talked about the novel Who Goes There by John W. Campbell that was written in 1938. Have you heard of this novel? Yep. Okay. Do you know more about it than I do? Uh, not really. I remember listening to a podcast that talked that someone read it, but I, yeah, I can't remember much on it now. Okay. So this was the direct influence and he talks that it tells a story of a group of American researchers in Antarctica who encounter the thing, a parasitic extraterrestrial life form that assimilates and then intimidates other organ organisms. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is a really interesting concept. And we have this birth with the thing of really good special effects. Yes, the probably still to this day, some of the best special effects like, that have what ever been created. made it good for you? Looking back at when you watch the thing, what made it good for you? Like the movie itself? What made it good? Yeah, the special effects. Like how did the alien scare you? Like how did that whole concept scare you? Uh, I would say it's mainly because, uh, well, for one, the special effects they show you an alien creature that is undefinable to like describe it because it turns into so many different things. And what you are seeing is completely unnatural of anything you would ever see in real life. And the fact that it can assimilate. Yep, so you that's don't where know I was, what's real and what's fake, right? Yep. And that's where I was going to say next, like, yeah, you like that dives into the paranoia part of who you can trust because you don't know who is the alien now which is so representative of our society now. Yeah, very much so. Right, if we look at terrorism, it's who is a terrorist, who is not. And we tend to uh, categorize terrorism by culture and skin tone, mm -hmm. but we have lots of people from all different acts of life that commit acts of terror. Um, now we might, typically they tend to be one certain type that isn't the most popular that people like to talk about when you look at shootings in the United States. That is very true. Um, but you know, that aside, it's, we don't know who it could be. And the same with COVID right now. We don't know who has COVID, who doesn't have COVID. There's this talk that you could be a carrier of COVID and not even know that you have COVID. And that's why you have to social distance. You know, it's very, very interesting how this ties into now, that whole concept of not knowing and this entity having so much control because you're losing control. Yeah. And there is even a line in the thing that, you know, describes it perfectly and describes what's happening now perfectly. And it's Kurt Russell saying, 
all of us are just very tired and we don't know who to trust anymore. Yeah, I think that's really, really valid. And it and it's interesting that this was written, or not written, that this was done as a film in 1982, right? Like, I just think that's a really interesting development. And even though that film didn't do very well when it came out in the box office, um, comparably to what they thought it was going to do, and they talked about how E.T. came out at that time and how, you know, E.T. was a very family-friendly film and that could have something to do with it. I think the thing has just grown in, in popularity. Yeah, it, it went from a cult following to pretty much if you're a fan of the horror genre, you enjoy this film or respect this film. Like everyone knows about it. And and this, you know, Aliens, I'm going to talk about Aliens next, which was in 1979 horror, science horror fiction film directed by Ridley Scott. That almost does well, even though it's prior to the thing. It it brought aliens into the real limelight. Yeah. You know, the special effects that were in that were just incredible. And the story of trying to outsmart this deadly and aggressive alien that is loose on their ship. And it's a really, really, it's so well done that we had so many sequels. Mm-hmm. And then video games and then crossovers with the Alien and Predator franchise. And they've, my understanding had been pretty well received in the box office. I didn't look up the numbers for all of them. But obviously they wouldn't be making them if they weren't making some money. Exactly. And yeah, one thing about the uh, Alien, it, it brought a, uh, or it popularized this theory with uh, Alien films moving forward, at least with uh, certain ones, but like, the sexualization because the mouth of the xenomorph is basically a very phallic symbol yep very much so uh and it brought along this fear of something in being inside of you basically Mm -hmm. almost like a fear it's like a fear of rape Mm -hmm. because you're getting forcibly forcibly pregnated by the face huggers Mm -hmm. like it just brought this fear of uh just being invaded bodily. Absolutely. And that losing of control. So if we go back to our previous episodes and talk about the egocentric of the human, of human beings, it's that losing control. Now, it was not all doom and gloom for aliens. We did have a push for very happy alien films. Look at the Superman movies. Yeah. Right. Um, so I recently saw Brightburn, which is the opposite of Superman, <laughs> which I liked. I thought that was a really cool, um, really cool look on um, aliens coming from space and not being a hero. But Superman, with the first one being in 1978 and included five other films and such as Supergirl, Superman is an alien that is a human form that is easy for us to understand and makes it acceptable. Mm-hmm. And it pushes for the positive alien role model that could be the reason that John Carpenter argued that his, his movie did not do as well in the box office at the time, you know, comparatively to things like E.T. and stuff like that. This book is really fascinating. I think you would really enjoy reading it. Yeah, um, it sounds like I would. The stuff that they pull in is really, really cool. And yet again, this is based on this writer's opinion and perspective and taking interviews that John Carpenter has said. So there's always, you know, a translation thing, issue that when you read material, you have to take it as what that author is, is trying to promote and say. Right. But I think that there's some validity to it. Absolutely. So... And then this continues on with Star Wars and Star Trek movies. You know, we had the idea of the exploratory stage 
of aliens. And I remember watching Star Trek The Next Generation and loving that. Now, I know there was Star Trek previously to that. I'm just looking at the fact that during this time, we started to see lots of different types of Star Trek. There was Star Trek Voyager and Deep Space Nine. Yep. You know, every time you turned around, it was like a new Star Trek series was coming out. And it was almost this idea of learning about different cultures and explorations, which was technically happening in our society at the time. You know, in the 90s, we started to really push this acceptance culture and accepting people that came from different lives and learning about different food and, and having more of this kind of unity of coming together. So that's why we started to see these unities with these alien films. Yeah. Or I shouldn't say films, because yeah, there was Star Trek films, but as well as a TV series. Were you a Star Trek or Star Wars fan? Uh, Star Wars, I was a, I'm a big fan of. Uh, Star Trek was hit or miss for me, though the one you mentioned, Next Generation, is the one that I prefer. I think it's interesting that they get put lumped together because I think they're very different. Yeah, they are. Right? Like, I feel like Star Trek was more exploratory of different cultures and people coming together. And I remember them all sitting in the bar and having drinks together. And, like, there was a lot of, like, interspecies or whatever hooking up that would happen. And I feel like Star Wars, there was, like, good and bad. And it was yep, based upon the battle between them. Yep, and there was, a, I would almost say there was almost more politics in Star yeah. Wars. Yes, I would agree with that, absolutely. And I'm not an expert on Star Wars or Star Trek by any stance of the imagination. It's just looking at, you know, this was the theme that we were seeing during that time. So this led to the movie Independence Day. Oh, America the movie. America the film. Um, so the idea that the world could come together and fight back, putting aside differences with, of course, Americans in the lead. Of course. Um, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that as much as I tease. Um, the movie is a lot of fun. I like Independence Day. Are you so do a I. fan of Independence Day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, that, it, uh, I've seen that one in theater, I think, twice. Yeah, like it came out in the summer. Did it come out on July 4th? I think it did. Did it? Yeah, like that was smart marketing what they did with that movie. Like that, talk about a way to market it well. Um, you know, so it was, yet again, these aliens show up and they, and they kick Earth's ass. Like it's pretty bad, the destruction and stuff that happens before we figure out how to fight back and, and take them down as a, as a collective, as a human being collective. And then the world's day is Independence Day. I still remember that speech that July 4th will not be known as Americans' independence. It'll be known as the world independence and everyone around the world's <laughs> like, yeah! Uh, but it's a feel-good film, right? And we also have other films during that time, like Species, that came out in 1995. So the film plot concerns a motley crew of scientists and government agents who tracked down Sid, a seductive extraterrestrial human hybrid, before she successfully meets with a human male. Talk about now taking aliens and making them sexual and sexy. Yep. Right? So, like, it's not like you watched War of the Worlds or The Thing or Aliens and we're like, mm, damn, got to tap me that alien. Yeah, I would do that one. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not the case. It's, it's interesting that we start injecting sex into it yeah and that and continues with the sorry go ahead i was saying yep that movie was a favorite of mine when i was a young teen for many reasons <laughs> well it's a gorgeous young lady that's in it and as well as it's it's a pretty well rich like it's a fast moving film yeah and it's actually pretty creepy right so it's very much um that turn of now making aliens sexual 
and bringing that sexual identity into it. Now, maybe that's for us to control too, right? So the idea of, of sexual, in sexual relationships, there could be the idea of control. And maybe that's what we were looking at doing with species, right? Is that, that they were trying to control us, but we were trying to control them and, or whatever the case may be. Definitely, you could probably just do a super hyper-focus just on species and what the impact would have. And then followed up to that was the X-Files movie that came out. Uh, did you watch the X-Files? I did not. The sexual tension between Mulder and Scully yep. was ridiculous. <laughs> that I do remember. Throughout all the seasons. But even then, there was a lot of, you know, the FBI is hiding stuff from us. The truth is out there. We need to find out what is going on. And there was some sexual stuff integrated in that, too. And it almost took, like, aliens and made it into, like, Days of Our Lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> right almost making it more palatable for the average viewer and making it a little bit more soap opera and then we also have the movie the astronaut's wife that came out in 1999 did you ever see that film i did not okay so the astronaut's wife has johnny depp in it and charlie theron and he's an astronaut that goes up to space and uh something happens when he's up there and he comes back and he is not the same Oh, okay. And it's very much an alien invasion film, too. Very sexy, very sexual in it, um, similar to species, you know. So this is what we're seeing in the 90s, right? So we're seeing this development of alien films and how things are getting almost more like Days of Our Lives soap opera you know, yeah. with that sexual side of it coming in, but we're still able to beat them. In some cases, we don't, but they're really hot, so it's okay. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. And then September 11th happened. And definitely the world was, was no longer the same. No. And it, it brought back this idea that the destruction by foreign allies on American soils and this continued through the 2000s. So, you know, I think September 11th was the first time that our generation can remember a major attack. So our countries have had attacks before. Uh, we burnt down the White House. You guys attacked York. Like, we've had battles. But those were in the 1800s, not current day. Right. So September 11th was massive on a massive scale. And it affected both of our countries very much in the world. So... This, this idea that you were not safe on American soil, that anything could happen in real life. And then we start to see invasion movies making a comeback, but making a comeback on steroids. So we have the invasion of 2007, which is a retelling of the Body Snatchers storyline, science fiction horror film uh, that starred Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. And the plot follows Washington, D.C. psychiatrist Kidman, who finds that those around her are turning into emotionless beings shortly after a major spaceship crash. Have you seen this movie or have you seen Body Snatchers? Um, I actually have seen, uh, yeah, I think I, yeah, I've seen the remake of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers from the 70s with uh, Donald Sutherland. And then I seen, I think it was just called it was Abel Ferreira's Body Snatchers, I want to call it. I can't remember, but it was a 90s remake of it. And what did you think of Body Snatchers? Like, what did you think of that concept? I found it actually uh, pretty terrifying. Oh, yeah? Cause, yeah, because, I mean, once again, you can't, you don't know who to trust anymore because now your next door neighbor could be one of these aliens. 
and you'd, yeah, not, you're not sure of anything anymore at that point. And it's fitting that that came back after September 11th, right? Yeah. Right. Who do you trust? Who is the terrorist? Terrorist. Who is going to do you harm? Yep. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's a very interesting of uh, film reflecting society. <laughs> sure is. And then if we look at Cloverfield in 2008, uh, you you were the one that talked to me about Cloverfield. And yeah. I think you've seen the, the second one that you liked more. Yep, 10, Clo 10 Cloverfield Lane. And what did you like about the second one more than the original Cloverfield? Uh, I just like the, uh, the character uh, interactions, mm. their chemistry together, because it's pretty much more like an isolated film. They're all stuck in a bunker. They have to live with each other and there's only three people and it isn't, it almost isn't even an alien film until like the very final act. Mm. And yeah, it's just more about like just the humans dealing with uh, these humans dealing with a natural disaster that had happened, which is pretty much what the effects after Cloverfield. Interesting. I haven't seen that one yet. I've only seen Cloverfield which is found footage and it follows, you know, New York city residents fleeing a massive monster, the invasion in New York, which I think is really fitting that they did it in New York. Yeah. A little gutsy to be quite honest with you. Uh, that shortly after September 11th, it only would have been seven years. It's not a lot of time. Um, right. And then finally, you know, we have the movie, the darkest hour, uh, which is a film that talks about people caught in the middle of an alien invasion and then most recently we have Bird Box. Oh yeah. Right? That came out in nineteen uh nineteen. Two thousand eighteen. I'll be okay. American post um th apocalyptic thriller that talks about, you know, a woman that's played by Sandra Bullock as she tries to protect herself and her two children and two children, not her children, two children, from supernatural entities that make people who look at them go insane and commit suicide. And we also have The Quiet Place as well that came out that year. Yep. Which is also based on the similar concept of aliens invasions and that they move by, or that they sense by, by sound. So most of the human race has been knocked off with the exception of a few survivors. So it's interesting with these films because the humans are not in the majority. There's no Independence Day. Rah, we did it. We're so amazing. Like <laughs> right. Like, no, no, you didn't do it, and you got to try to somehow survive in this shit. Yep, this <laughs> is, like, this, once again, this kind of fits with what's going on now, but, like, yep, you're in a completely new situation, and, well, you just got to learn to survive and do things in a different way. And adapt. Yeah. Right? So, in A Quiet Place, a family, one of the children is, is deaf, and they mainly communicate through sign language. And I think that's a huge example of adapting because people who are deaf have had to adapt to our society. Mm -hmm. When I say our society, I mean individuals that have hearing. Yeah. So how ironic is it that when this happened, people had to adapt to those that were deaf and find right. a different way to communicate to survive in the new world. So I think you made a really great comparison there. And that's where we're sitting at with alien movies now an alien invasion so it's interesting this kind of little roller coaster that we've done with societal events and what's happening and what role the alien entities have played uh whether they are friend foe whether we've been over able, able to overcome them whether they've overcome us and now we just existed in their new world it's very fascinating yeah it really is i was saying like yeah that's some very good uh 
a lot of good comparisons too. And like, yeah, it's kind of crazy how they can kind of compare to what we're dealing with now too, in a way. Right. It's, it's just, and I think that film does a great job of that, especially horror. I feel like horror doesn't shy away from the real nitty gritty of what we're actually truly afraid of. Right. And that, I have a lot of respect for that, but I know you're going to go into the other side of not aliens, of what we have to fear within our own political system and stuff like that. Yep. Once again, uh, mankind messing with things they should not be messing with. Story uh, of our lives. <laughs> yep. And what bigger uh, way to do this than by massive government experiments and like the ideas that some of these movies took from possible things that happened in real life um like i don't have anything on here i'm gonna stop here for a second but uh i'm gonna talk about area 51 like briefly because i didn't get any notes on that stuff but i'm gonna okay put that in you before talk I about. yeah okay all right so uh, the first thing i'm gonna bring up is uh obviously area 51 uh, there's been a lot of you know tons of different conspiracies about that place uh, you know it's mainly was used for what would you call that? Like secretive training of on weapons and yeah. uh, U.S. like different types of flights, and of course that let the since it is so top secret and highly guarded, that of course it brought on the paranoia of what are what are they hiding there, mm-hmm. and you know lots of theories have come around that you know in Roswell, New Mexico, there was a uh, UFO crashing and that the U.S. government grabbed that and took it to Area 51 and is now, you know, learning how to deal with stuff like that and learning the technology and trying to learn how to use that technology and create new weapons from that technology. You know, there's tons of conspiracy theories about that, but uh, there was one movie, I did not watch it, but uh, like it definitely ties into this because it's Area 51 where these, uh, it's a found footage style film where people end up going into Area 51, like somehow break into it and yeah, just get kind of uh, chased by an alien that was locked up there. And uh, But then also another one that I can tie into this would be 1988's The Blob Remake. Yeah. Because a lot of... Uh, I w- it de- wasn't technically Area 51 that this came from, but it just kind of ties in with the whole uh, Area 51 experimenting with new technology for bioweapons and other types of weapons. And well, the blob was supposed to be a new weapon that was, uh, I believe, on a satellite in space and was supposed to, like, you know, be used as a weapon to be dropped down into whatever place they needed it to be used at. And then, you know, this giant oozing gelatinous thing just kind of comes from this and just keeps eating and eating and eating and getting larger and larger and larger as it continues to feast. Feels like me during quarantine. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <Sorry>. Wow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, that one I felt was like a good one to tie into that. Um, but one of the, and on my research, I was looking up a lot, trying to find some good stuff. And one of the articles I ended up coming across was, is called one of the most shocking CIA programs of all time, Project MK Ultra. And uh, I will give a link to this article when I uh, when I do my show notes and everything like that, but uh, 
one interesting program from 1953 to 1964 when the Central Intelligence Agency conducted dozens of experiments on the effects of biological and chemical agents on American citizens without their knowledge. And the project was called Project MKUltra. Now these convert these covert tests included subjecting the unwitting subjects to hallucinogenic drugs and other chemicals, among other things. It is difficult to find official documents about this program. However, in 1976 and 1977, the U.S. Senate conducted investigations and even held a joint committee hearing on the Project MKUltra, then published much of what was discovered. Uh, MKUltra's purpose According to the hearing report, the project was intended to develop a capability in the covert use of biological and chemical materials. The motivation was also defensive in that many were afraid during the Cold War that the Russians and Chinese had already developed weapons in this area. As the project proponents noted, the development of a comprehensive capability in this field of covert chemical and biological warfare gives us a thorough knowledge of the enemy's theoretical potential thus enabling us to defend ourselves against a foe who might not be as restrained in the use of these techniques as we are. So pretty much what I am going to do here is I'm just going to like read off the research I found for all these different governmental experiments and then uh, tie them into the movies. So like with MK Ultra, one of the movies that was brought up was the Banshee chapter from 2013. Banshee chapter uh, is about an investigative journalist, Anna, who looks into the disappearance of her friend who she believes ingested a secret government chemical, hence MKUltra's experiments. Uh, her search leads her into the disturbing world of covert operatives with one strange radio transmission, the transmission troubling her. She begins to realize that the chemical works as a radio antenna of sorts and that allows otherworldly entities to broadcast signals to the people on the drug as well as take over their bodies. So once again, mankind messing around with things, experimenting, and somehow accidentally letting otherworldly entities in and controlling us and us losing complete control of ourselves. Which is the biggest egotistic thing yet again that humans are most afraid of. Yep. Yeah, after the, the story continues that they also realize that the government never came up with the chemical it, but instead received instructions from the otherworldly entities and made the drug without realizing the full implication of their actions. So, yet once again, mankind hearing about something and messing with something that they should not be messing with at, that they don't have any understanding of. I also think it talks to the lack of faith in government. It really does. And this would have been in the 50s and 60s, right? Uh, yeah, well, the, the, the project was, yes. Project right, MKUltra so, was. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting if we look at the political situation at that time. Oh, yeah. And how people would have felt about their government. Um, Nixon. <laughs> right. <laughs> and among other things, I think that that's very, very interesting and, and speaks very much yet again to what's happening in culture. Oh, it most definitely does. And yeah, like, and it's still, you know, a fear that we have now of trusting our own governments because mm -hmm. once again, tying it to what's going on here, like, Obviously, for the this will be more representative of here in the U.S. We can't trust a lot of what's being said to us right now. Yeah, I've never seen so much doubt over whether cases for COVID are real or not. Yeah. Like, it, it's not even something I think about as a Canadian. Like, I'm not like, mm, government's lying to me. There's not that really many COVID cases. But people do believe it. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, and, you know, what, and this whole COVID thing brought up another conspiracy theory, too, of the 5G cell phone towers. 
being uh-huh. the cause of COVID-19 and people burning down these 5G cell phone towers, which is just a dumb idea because with us being in quarantine, if you destroy these towers, well, there goes your fun of being on the internet. Well, and it's, and I think it speaks to the lack of control. Yeah. We are in a situation right now where control has been really, really ripped from us. And I think if you look at the development of the United States and you look at your independence and your, and your uh, war against Britain to, to develop your independence, like Canada became independent because Britain was like, you know what, we really don't want to deal with you anymore. And we were like, we don't want to deal with you either. And that's how that went down. You know, it right. was a lot of treaties and, you know, paperwork and tea talks and stuff like that. Um, America was birthed from, you know, bombs bursting in air. Like, there's a reason why that's your national anthem. So I think when things are restricted in the States, it's very, very difficult because that's just not um, a mentality that seems to be presented as much as Canada has stayed this kind of British loyalist connection. That's just my perspective. I'm not at all saying that that every American feels that way. I just think if you look back in history to the development, um, it's a reason why the United States have been a leader and very assertive and and doing things. And now you're telling a bunch of American people that they can't leave their house. Like that's, that's a huge, huge thing for the government to do. So of course it's going to cause people to be very frustrated and look to reasons why this is occurring. Yep, exactly. Whether it's correct or not is, yeah. you know, <laughs> but it still doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, another one, this is more like a more well-known uh, experiment that happened, but the Philadelphia experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got the, most of this information from the Skeptics Dic- Dictionary, and it's written by Robert Todd Carroll. The Philadelphia experiment is an alleged United States Navy experiment done on October 28th, 1943. According to legend, the destroyer USS Eldridge was made invisible, dematerialized, and teleported from Philadelphia, uh, teleported from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to Norfolk, Virginia, and back again to the Philadelphia Naval Yard. The experiment allegedly had such terrible side effects, such as making sailors invisible and causing them to go mad. Um, there is also stories of when this ship rematerialized some of the soldiers and uh, sailors on there were part of the ship. Like they were melded with the ship. So kind of a uh, thing like uh, Cronenberg's The Fly where DNA got melded with a fly. Well, DNA got melded with a ship. And the Navy quit exploring this, uh, but they ended up quitting exploring this technology. The experiment was allegedly done by Dr. Franklin Reno as an application of Einstein's unified field theory. The experiment supposedly demonstrated a successful connection between gravity and electromagnetism, electromagnetic space-time warping. The the Navy denies that it ever did such a test. The denial is taken as proof by the conspirational mind that the experiment must have really occurred. The less gullible asked, where did this story come from? The facts are that the Navy does all kinds of experiments, many of them secret. Many of these experiments in attempt to find military applications for the latest discoveries of theories in physics, such as Einstein's unified field theory. It seems to be a fact that the Navy was experimenting with invisibility in 1943, but not with making ships disappear. So it's once again, a way of creating a defense for ourselves. And once again, not trusting the government with what's being told. Yeah. Um, And this Philadelphia experiment definitely had some influences. Like I think this is what inspired a lot of the whole, seeing other dimensions because obviously like kind of jumping different places in time so one thing i want to bring up is uh the mist from 2007 which 
had its own uh, government conspiracy style uh, experiment called the Arrowhead Project. While not technically based off of a real life experiment, the Arrowhead Project in the film, The Mist, definitely has influences of the Philadelphia Experiment and the Montauk Project, which I'll also get into here in a little bit, where these experiments were done to create wormholes into different dimensions. And so, you know, with The Mist, although it's a monster movie, the central theme explores what ordinary people will be driven to do under extraordinary circumstances. The plot revolves around members of the small town of Bridgeton, Maine, who after a severe thunderstorm causes the power to go out the night before. They meet in the supermarket to pick up their supplies, and while they are struggling to survive, an unnatural mist envelops the town and conceals vicious Lovecraftian monsters as extreme tensions rise among the survivors. Amongst the people in the grocery store are a group of military soldiers, two of which commit suicide, while the other reveals rumors from the local military base about the Arrowhead Project, a government attempt to research other dimensions, and that scientists may have opened a doorway into a dimension containing the creatures invading the town. So... Yet, once again, mankind messing with something that they do not understand and releasing it into our world. And, you know, all hell breaks loose when we have these unfathomable creatures attacking. Absolutely. The Mist is a sad movie, too. Like, talk about a bummer movie. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, I love that movie. Like, absolutely love it. But, man, that ending just, just devastating. You know, it's funny you should say that because I refuse to watch it again. Because of the ending? Yes. Yeah, I, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, it's not my jam. I can't, I can't handle that. Yeah, and me... Heather, don't play that. Heather, don't play that. And it's me, it's because Lovecraftian monsters. Oh, I know. You love your Lovecraft. It's just, it's... That was an ending that I felt like punched me in the gut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I never fully did. got over it. I'll be honest. I still think about it, and I'm like, <laughs> like, it's just too much. I can't well, take it. And you know, they did... So, the director, uh, Frank Darabont, did something right when Stephen King ends up saying, Wow. That's a better ending than what's in my book. <laughs> Wish yeah, I would have thought true. of that. <laughs> that's a compliment, right? It's a compliment. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also another movie that can tie into this because, you know, speaking of other dimensions, the movie uh, Stuart Gordon directed From Beyond from 1986, which is based off of an H.P. Lovecraft story. I think this is your favorite Stuart Gordon movie, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, but yeah, this is about an obsessive scientist, Dr. Pretorius, successfully, who successfully... <laughs> Pretorius. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and this, this movie is just sexual in nature. Oh, yeah. But uh, he successfully discovers a way to access a parallel universe of, of pleasure by tapping into the brain's pineal gland. When he is seemingly killed by forces from this other dimension, his assistant, Dr. Crawford Tillinggast, is accused of the murder after psychiatrist Catherine McMichaels and detective Bubba Brownlee take the case. Yep. <laughs> Bubba Brownlee. The trio risks a return to the other world in order to solve the mystery. So, yep, once again, opening dimensions, messing with things you should not be messing with, and dealing with a creature that is beyond comprehension. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I should say creatures, because yeah. there's multiple in this. But, yeah, and, I, and that all, like, I feel has, like, some inspiration from the Philadelphia Experiment. Like, all those two movies, I feel, definitely have that influence there. And then there is one more uh, project that I want to talk about, and this one is what I brought up earlier, the Montauk, the Montauk Project. And this one was uh, where Stranger Things truly got inspired. And I found an article called A Look at Stranger Things and the Secret Government Experiments that Inspired It from the New York Daily News by Jessica Shilla Shil- 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 Debeck. 
Uh, the strangest thing about Netflix's breakout hit, Stranger Things, may well be its source material. Before the 80s thriller series received its official title, it operated under the moniker Montauk, which alluded to much more than the show's since-changed Long Island location. Some of its creepiest plot points, like Eleven's connection with the monstrous Demogorgon and the portals to the Upside Down, nod to what most conspiracy theorists call the Montauk Project. The alleged series of government experiments which dug into things like telepathy, clairvoyance, and time travel were first made public by Preston Nichols in the early 90s. He claimed in a series of books that he had recovered a slew of repressed memories about his role in the project and others followed suit, also suggesting that they were a part of the mysterious experiment. Eventually, Nichols connected with Al Bielek, who claims to have been involved in both the Montauk Project and its inspiration, the Philadelphia Experiment, courtesy of a wormhole which sucked him and his brother into the future. The U.S. Navy amidst World War II was looking for ways to foil Nazi radars so they could safely transport goods to their European allies. The Philadelphia Experiment sought to turn ships invisible to enemy eyes and was nearly successful in some respects. So, you know, this, once again, Stranger Things is getting influenced by not one, but two different projects that the government had worked on. Which makes uh, sense for the first season. Yeah, And absolutely. then I feel like they kind of just rode that out. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, like I, I never did finish season two, so I don't know much of like what exactly happened, but that one, it looked like it was more just like a portal into another dimension type deal. Yeah, I've seen all f- three seasons. Yeah, I think there's three yeah, seasons I've right now. Yeah, I've seen all three. Um, yeah, I feel like that was a series that started off very strong on that and then just kind of rid it out a yeah. lot longer than needed. Oh, absolutely. And it's still going to go because I got a season four coming. Yeah. Uh, they make but, money, right? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and according to conspiracy theorists, the experiment didn't make its subject ship the USS Eldridge disappear, but rather resulted in its transport to Norfolk nearly 200 miles away. So something I talked about earlier. But uh, most officials sought to shut down the project after members of the crew reported side effects, which included everything from nausea to participants being physically embedded into the ship. So, yep, what I was talking about, like with them kind of just being part of that ship now. The Montauk project, though, supposedly started out with a focus on mind control. Conspiracy theorists say that children with psychic sensitivity were both sought out and kidnapped, not unlike Eleven with the hopes of enhancing their, ta- their latent abilities, perhaps for use in psychological warfare. The continuation of the experiments allowed these to involve to manipulate reality beyond the physical realm. Scientists with the hope of being able to control space and time began creating wormholes on the base, which scared a lot of those involved with the project. Hence how the Demogorgon became a thing because it escaped from another wormhole once again. And then, yeah, the like psychic ability power. So like, you know, there are all sorts of, films that have been based solely off of that montauk project just from reading that like so like scanners probably is uh the mind's eye but yeah that is that is pretty much the uh the information that i had found on some of these government experiments that you know have a lot of different theories and some of their inspirations for films we were going to discuss like some of our favorite movies from this type of genre did you happen to have any you wanted to mention that we haven't brought up yet Nothing that really is going to come up. Like, I really like The Astronaut's Wife, actually. That's one of my favorite alien-type movies. I'm not big into, like, government experiment stuff. Like, you know, I I think there's a lot of classics and stuff, but it's not my go-to. I did enjoy Stranger Things. I did enjoy the first season, and I enjoyed the third season. The second season was okay. So I did, like, 
probably that's the closest thing to government experiments that I can say that I really liked uh, myself. Fair enough. But like, um, but did you have any that we haven't brought up yet? Like, um, like no, I was like, just saying the ones that I do like is what we oh, talked about, oh, right? Gotcha. So okay. I was just reiterating the ones that I enjoyed. Like those are the ones that really speak to me, and that's why I brought them up earlier, right? So okay, those gotcha. are the ones that that stick with me. I don't know enough about other government experiment ones. I don't like honestly the ones that we've gone into great depth on are the ones that I'm knowledgeable with. This is an area for me that because it's science fictiony, I'm not a huge fan. Right? right like i i enjoy the alien movies i enjoy the predator movies i like independence day but i wouldn't dig out the government experiment stuff i just don't i even sometimes doubt whether some of these government experiments have happened and i probably have i just don't have the interest in that area to dig it out so the ones that we've talked about are the ones that I enjoy because they're the only ones I'm really interested in pursuing, right? Like I like right. how Stranger Things developed and I like the kids and um, I particularly like the the sheriff that's in it. Like I, and we know a writer freaks out for like every season. Right. Um, so, you know, there really isn't, my, my palette isn't big enough. That's why I kind of just reiterated ones I liked and why, because those are the ones that I enjoy the most. Okay. Well, I'm going to bring up one that I think you also enjoyed if i remember some of our conversations but uh slither yes i did like slither i guess you're right that is an alien one too yeah that's true i didn't think of that yeah and that one kind of uh goes along the lines of uh like alien and the whole like being your body being invaded and once again losing control when these slugs take over your body yeah and it was really creepy i remember the bathtub scene and like oh that other that stuff scene, like it yeah. is it was a really good film i forgot that those were aliens and i guess little shop of horrors as well as a musical um oh yeah i really do like that as well see i have to really think about it because and unless i kind of engage in a conversation about it it's not like if you were to ask me slashers or you know societal horror or stuff like that i could easily be like pointed out but i have to really like concept and think about the alien films that aren't the basic ones that we've spoken about right yeah i have a couple like independent and lower budget ones that i'm gonna bring up that i highly recommend to anybody but uh one of them is called the deadly spawn which was like mid to late 80s uh, forgive me on forgive me on the date i can't remember but super low budget shot on video and it is low budget done correctly like they invested their time into these monsters, which were weird slugs with like massive teeth and kind of like the blob when they ate, they grew bigger and bigger and bigger and extremely violent. Like for, especially for such a low budget film, like they, I, you could tell they invested most of their money and time into their prosthetics and their gore. But I highly recommend searching for this movie and checking it out. It is a fun, fun watch. And it's about, you know, aliens that pretty much like the blob crash landed and came from a meteorite. Like most of these alien movies tend to happen like that, it seems. Um, but then there's another one that came out mid to, I, I want to say maybe the last decade or maybe a little bit before that. But uh, it's called Altered. And it is about a group of people that find an alien, like a body of an alien. And mm -hmm. he looks like a miniature version of like the green bald headed big headed big black eyed looking aliens 
and they find the body and they drag it back to their barn where for some reason or another, they decide they want to try doing an autopsy on it. And well, it's not dead. And it gets angry and very bad things happen. <laughs> but I highly recommend it. It's a very uh, good, creepy alien movie that was like independently made. Cool. Uh, but yeah, those are just a couple of the ones I wanted to just bring up and just kind of give a nod to and like hopefully people will check out because yeah, I recommend both of those films. And I guess obviously so there. The only other one that I talked about it earlier briefly was Brightburn. And yeah. um I really liked I don't really enjoy superhero movies simply because I feel like they're overdone now. Yeah. Like I can't keep up with the Marvel universe. I I give up. Like I just <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do it anymore. But I did like the angle they took in Brightburn. And I liked how it didn't focus too much on the alien aspect of it. Like, I'm okay with aliens if they're, you know, it's an action-adventure kind of thing. But if it's too much of, like, this kind of government testing and, like, I just feel it too conspiracy for me. And that's me. You know, it's not saying that right. they're bad things. I just don't care. And that is hard for me to buy into. Yeah, I can see that. Right. And one that's not technically alien, but would work in the government experiment would be, uh, and I guess I, if I remember correctly, was based loosely off of a government experiment a long time ago, but uh, Return of the Living Dead. Oh, that's true, right? That's true. I'll Good say point. It's, you know, it doesn't fit with our creature feature thing because it's more a zombie film, but that one did like tie into the whole government experiment and uh, creating that trioxin that brought the dead back to life. Uh, but yeah, that is uh, our main topic. Uh, I th we've pretty much covered everything, but uh, yeah, th we know there's like a shit ton of alien and government style experimental experiment movies, and we're not going to be able to cover all of them. But, you know, we've just pretty much covered the ones that once again fit our theme that we were going with in our topics. Yeah, and that's usually what we do. We look at our topics and we try to match things to what fits our interest our own personal interest when it comes to this subject. And, uh, you know, for someone who doesn't care for alien movies that much, I was able to find stuff that, that matched what my interests are and, and the type of speed that I like to go with films. So especially films oh, yeah. like this. Yep, absolutely. And like, yeah, same with me. Like it, it was hard to find some specific research on the government experiment stuff, but you know, that's cause that's a lot of conspiracy theories and tightly kept secrets. So it's hard yeah. to find real information, but yeah, it, it was fascinating what I came across. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, we are going to discuss the movies that we are looking forward to uh, so coming there's up. not much. <laughs> right, so we're kind of looking at uh, VOD releases for right now. Yeah, the first one I'll bring up is uh, The Wretched by yeah. IFC Films. Wow, I, I just came across this trailer and I was just like, hmm. I haven't heard of this one, and I just threw it on, and wow, this looks really freaking creepy. Yeah, the trailer looks good. I lo I really love the play they're doing with uh, uh, people in their 30s and moving forward with their lives and where they choose to live and stuff like that. I think it's a really cool thing. Jesse Eisenberg is in it. Oh, no, um, you're thinking uh, Varvarium. Oh, sorry, wrong one. The Wretch was the other one. My bad. Um, see, this is what happens in quarantine. You lose track of different movies. Um <laughs> No, that one's about the child, right? That's going yeah. missing. Yeah. So rewind, disregard everything I said. Um, this one does look interesting as well. It looks, yet again, this looks like a movie that has a twist. You know, yeah, oh, like yeah. you watch the trailer and you're like, there's a twist. <laughs> um, 
probably it will be definitely one that I watch that I watch am I looking forward to it as much as I'm looking forward to the other one that I just started talking about clearly not because that one's on my mind <laughs> um but yeah it looks it looks interesting and for a VOD it looks pretty you know it would be worth the rental fee yeah because this one just had like this really creepy kind of scary vibe to it yeah like some of the things they showed in this trailer like they probably spoiled some stuff but at the same time like it looked it looks like something that would be interesting that I would be totally into. Absolutely. Uh, but yes, since you are so excited about <laughs> the next I'm one. I'm so excited about it, right? Why don't you um, bring up a vivarium? Well, I kind of already alluded to it, um, assuming that Scott doesn't cut that out of the, <laughs> when he edits. Um, it, I, I, first of all, I'm excited to see Jesse Eisenberg back. I have mixed feelings on him. I, I think he's pretty entertaining at times, but I enjoy that this is looking at people in their 30s and the expectations of where they live and what they do. I don't want to give too much away because I know we do have people that listen to this that don't watch trailers, but I think it's a very modern reflection of society for people in their thirties and expectations of what they should be doing. And I love movies like that. Like those are, that's, that's what I dig. So um, it looks good to me. I will definitely watch it. Not even a question. I may even watch it tonight. I'm just pretty pumped about it. Yeah. I, I think I'm right there with you. Cause as soon as I seen this trailer, cause I watched it last week and I was like, Oh, this is totally something Heather would be into. Totally. Right. Like it has to be written all over it for sure. Like it's definitely it something that, uh, that would totally be my jam. Yeah. And it, and I, and I am totally on board for this film. Cause like, yeah, pretty much for the themes that you brought up, but it also it just looks really bizarre. Yeah. And it looks well done. Right. Both actually all the films we looked at look well done. They look well filmed. They look well acted, you know, from a trailer. Line. right but it, they look like they're decent films that are coming to vod which is nice to see because we're not going to the theaters anytime soon right so, it is. <laughs> so yeah we take advantage of this and we watch the movies that we can and yep, yep. this one seems to be uh, right up our alley so probably by the next time we record we will be probably having this in our what we've been watching category yep uh but then yeah the uh very last one we'll talk about this trailer got released uh this week uh kind of out of nowhere like i knew they were working on it but i had no idea they were this close to being finished but it's train to Pre- train to busan presents peninsula which is uh the sequel to train B- to busan but it takes place four years after the events that occur on train to busan and wow this film looks freaking crazy it like, does I, look good yeah it, it looks full-blown action zombie apocalypse and a lot more characters it looks like too yeah you know i'm i'm wondering if it's going to be similar to like 28 days later 28 weeks later uh yeah it could be there and i like both like i like 28 days later and like 28 weeks 28 weeks later i do probably prefer 28 days later more uh and hopefully that's not the case here because i i love training to Busan. i think it's one of the best zombie movies, infected movies, whatever you want to call it, that have ever been created. I, yeah. You know, I, I can't say anything negative about that film. Absolutely not. And I'm really hoping that the sequel follows up to that. But, you know, even with sequels, you got to have, like, yet again, sequel expectations. So hopefully the sequel is decent, and hopefully we can see it in the theater by 2022. Um, that'd be awesome. Yep. So, I don't know if this will get a theater release or not, because I don't even think Train to Busan got a theatrical release. yeah but it's blown up enough in north america where you could maybe oh, yeah, definitely not, could maybe not like small towns but you know big cities like toronto new york detroit places like that i think could definitely have 
this released and probably do okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it probably would. Like it might have like that limited theatrical release type of deal. Right. Cuz you can make money. Like America is is where you make a lot of money, which is why we really need you guys to get our asses in gear recover. and recover taken care of. Um because, you know, you really do dictate a lot of the film grossing um incomes that films make so you know that'd be really awesome if we can have that happening sooner rather than later but one step yeah. at a time yeah that, that, that's what i'm saying because i i would uh, you know like to be able to go do whatever i want again <laughs> right be able to leave the house and do more things and just walk around your neighborhood 15 times over exactly uh, looking for alien you know life or government experiments gone bad and the conspiracy theories run wild in my brain right <laughs> um it will be really interesting to see how COVID is treated 15, 20 years from now, 10 years from now, when people write papers on it. Oh, for um, sure. And the belief, because I've heard so many different uh, arguments of how it started. Yep, same here. And one of them is a government experiment gone bad. Yep, like a bio-warfare um, bio mm -hmm. weapon. Yeah, right. And, you know, I'm not here to, and we're definitely not here to say what it is or is not, but I just think that's interesting, right? It's it's a big interest for people is is stuff that we can't understand and something that's so invasive like a COVID. So yeah, it's, it's interesting that we did this episode. I think out of all our episodes so far, this one ties more into the unknown and the alien factor. So yeah. Yeah, and little did we know that it like, or at least when I was doing the research, little did I know like how tan tangentially tied it would be to what's going on today. Yeah, I feel like we just figured that out as we talked. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Scott and I made it look like we knew what we were talking about, but we kind of just bullshitted along and then made it really sound good. So thank you for listening and, uh, and you know, agreeing with, of course, everything that we say, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so th thank you all for listening to us. Uh, I forgot to do this on the last episode, but uh, find us on – we're under the Kill the Cast banner – uh, you can find us on Spotify or Legion Podcast Network or even Podbean. If you, if you subscribe to Kill the Cast, you will see our episodes pop up in their feed. Um, we also have a Facebook group for uh, the Friday Nightmares podcast. Just search it up and ask to join and we'll let you in. Got a lot of uh, interesting topics that get brought up in there. We got a lot of news articles and things like that that get shared. So it's a great community of people and yep, want to continue seeing it grow. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, until next time, unpleasant dreams.